Yeah. Hello, everybody. This is Ming Chen from Anthony's Comic Book Band, and you are listening to my favorite podcast, The Marvelous. There was an idea to bring together a group of remarkable people to see if we could become something more. So when they needed us, we could fight the battles. That they never could. In 2018, the Marvel Cinematic Universe turns 10 years old, Avengers Infinity War draws near, and in an attempt to make sense out of all that's happened up to this point, we find two intrepid individuals. Peter Melnick, local newspaper production associate and mild-mannered comic book and podcast enthusiast, and Eddie Wilson, morning radio announcer in Sullivan County, upstate New York, with an inordinate amount of catching up to do in his own comic book universe. Alone, they stand apart. Duh. But together, they are the Marvelists. I'm good. Uh Uh-huh. I'm good. That's right. I'm good. No! This episode of The Marvelists, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, I'm good. will continue. Right after we hear a sampling of Star Lord's Awesome Mix Volume 2. Charlie 27, Martinex, Nikki, Vance Astro, Yondu, Alita, Starhawk. Seven extraordinary super beings 
all survivors of interstellar war. Now they roam the cosmos of the 31st century aboard the starship Captain America. Their mission? To safeguard the Milky Way. Stan Lee presents Guardians of the Galaxy. Welcome everyone to the Marvelists, the Marvel Cinematic Universe podcast, maybe Cinematic Universe after, you know, the next few weeks. We're maybe trying to not. figure that out. <laughs> we're, we're a little under construction. We got that little GeoCities logo, you know. What was it that you had said, Matt? Some assembly may be required. Some assembly may be required. So I'm going to take the co-writing credit for that, you know. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to Stan Lee that right now. Oh, but Monsters. Ah, real monsters. <laughs> so, guys, first off, how can we get a hold of us on social media? Well, Peter, I'm glad I asked that. Go on Facebook at facebook.com slash The Marvelists. Go on the Twitter at The Marvelists. Myself at Peter Melnick, M-E-L-N-I-C-K. And also follow Eddie, who is noticeably absent, at EWilson959. You can also follow us on Instagram at The Marvelists. It's surprises. I know. <laughs> like a bird in a window. Or through a door. Or chilling on top of a light fixture. By Power Girl. Yeah. And also, you can send us your emails, questions, comments, bird pictures, strongly worded letters. <laughs> the Marvelous at gmail.com. And finally, go on iTunes, rate, review, subscribe, and also share on social media. Why not? You know, let people know you're listening to this here fine program. And actually, one more little one, just because, well... Is it LinkedIn? No, no. Oh, I actually got somebody sending me a request on LinkedIn, and they had a fire emoji in their name, and I'm just like, you can tell they're the most <laughs> professional person ever. So That's fantastic. What we have is Stitcher, available for all iOS and Android devices. And guess what? If you sign up for Stitcher Premium, which cost normally $4.99 a month, you'll be able to get a free one-month trial for only free 99 No 99 cents in there. That's, that's just stupid. But no, for free, using the promo code MARVELIST, M-A-R-V-E-L-I-S-T. And once that one month is over, you're going to get charged $4.99 if you don't cancel. But guess what? We want you to stay on board. We want you to stay on Stitcher because... You get to listen to us and Wolverine the Long Night, the newest podcast venture from Marvel Studios. That's a good deal. It is, and it's free. That's a really good deal. So you sign up for that, guess what's happening? You're helping support this show. You're helping support me. You're helping support Eddie. You're helping us work on a dream, like Bruce Springsteen said in that album from 2009. See, Eddie's not here, so I'm just going to do the musical references. So in the original version of this, before we had a birdemic, we ended up having... <laughs> A botched intro, and so now I'm going to unbotch this intro by introducing our fill-in host for today, the proprietor of Carmine Street Comics, John Gorgo. Oh, and he's also a comic book editor, I believe. Yeah. How's I, that? I wear many hats. But you're not wearing a hat. No. Stop lying to the anymore. audience. I don't wear hats anymore. I started losing my hair. Hats mess it up even worse. Oh, hats are terrible. Yeah. Just like, you know, Groot in the movie we're talking about tonight, he hates hats. Yeah. They're yeah, terrible. Yeah. They just look stupid. Doesn't like hats. And the funniest thing is, going a little bit into discussion early of the movie, that's actually James Gunn's beliefs about hats. What? James Gunn, director of Guardians of the Galaxy, Volume 2 and 1, and also Scooby-Doo, he feels that way about hats. That's really silly. So now, before we get into our actual discussion of all this stuff, let's talk about some of the news going on in Marvel. Marveldom. Marvel Comics. Cool. Movies. TV. 
stuff. Everything? Comics? So Elizabeth Olsen was actually recently interviewed, and she wanted to do a Scarlet Witch movie. I saw the headline. I did not read the article, but I saw the headline. Well, basically, she wants it to be a House of M-style film. Oh, yeah, yeah, And obviously, we can't get a House of M-style film just yet until the Fox deal goes through. Pretty much, I guess. And is that what you want to see if we get a Scarlet Witch movie? I don't I don't know if that's the be-all, end-all yet for me. That's a really weird place to go right away if you're going to give her that much attention to give her you know enough time for a solo film on the other hand where else do you go there's no other major story really that involves her is there i mean there's vision in the scarlet witch or wasn't it a 12 miniseries yeah well i'm not sure if it was 12 maybe you're right it was there was definitely that was a 1980s mini but they're kind of they're kind of giving us that in the background of the of the movies now it'd be a little silly to with his domestication of wearing you know really awful sweaters (laughs) adorable little dad sweaters yeah (laughs) Adorable Paul Bettany and his adorable dance. <laughs> See now, I want adorable Paul Bettany to be a thing. Just you know, just a Twitter account. I think I think it already is. I mean, he's he's quite delightful. They're also, uh, you know, interestingly enough, though, you got a point there because I hadn't thought about the the Vision miniseries that Tom King did last year. What maybe a Vision and Scarlet Witch movie? that took some elements from the 1980s miniseries, but also incorporated elements from the 12-issue, the year-long short run Tom King just did that was the domestication of Vision in a really real way. Did you, did you read any of that? It was, it was I've, fantastic. I've read the first two issues, and I'm probably going to end up going through those on Marvel Unlimited just because. Cause Man, those were good. Crazy good. As a comic owner, I was worried you'd be upset that I said I'm on Marvel Unlimited. Oh, my girlfriend does it. It's, it's, it's life. It's pretty it's rad. It's digital. If, it, if that causes someone to buy a few more print comics somewhere along the way, oh, yeah. that's I, fantastic. I still and, buy. Um, I still buy print. And God, just just reading more comics is. A re- I open the store to make to, to make to force people by hand by down their throats. I I, I open the store in a, in, a, in a hope that I could encourage more people to to, to read comics. Yeah, but I watched so you. Someone's d- reading digitally. It, they're reading comics. It's yeah. it's the same mechanism. It's the same medium. It's still comics. Yeah, but I came by here one day and you were throwing young blood at you know like random <laughs> passers by. Hey, I've got them. <laughs> I've got them sitting around. I got a lot of comics just sitting around that nobody wants. I'm gonna I'm gonna see what I can do with. You them. whacked a person in the face with a copy of Brigade Number Two. <laughs> I have several copies of Brigade Number Two. That was young blood you were making up. The Brigade. Oh, you don't even know. There's like four copies of Brigade Number Two in my tiny store, and that is four too many. Today, we were actually at Big AppleCon, our producer, Matt and I, and we ended up going, and they actually had a copy of Thor, his first appearance, Journey into Mystery, whatever number. Yeah, 83. You know your stuff. I'm crazy. I have my moments. Well, what happened was I'm talking to the guy, and I was jokingly offering... Can we can we do a trade for this? And I was gonna say I'll give you, I'll give you Young Blood number one, <laughs> two, and four. Oh no! And he was actually trying to bring over somebody, the owner of the you know the book, and that's why I was like, I'm no, I'm, I'm it's a joke offer. And the guy goes, Oh, okay, never mind. And like I go, I'll give you Young Blood one, two, <laughs> and four. Three's too important for me. <laughs> so now you you do feel though I should check out the Vision on Marvel Unlimited? Man, yeah, that was really good. Gabriel Walta was the artist. Tom King wrote all of it. That was, I think, the first time I really was blown away by Tom King's writing. He, he did a miniseries for DC previous to that called The Omega Men, and he did a bunch oh, of yeah. things, uh, co-writing uh, at DC mainly. And that stuff was all solid, and The Omega Men didn't get a lot of attention, and I didn't... I think The, the Omega Men got a lot of attention, and I don't know... I think I read issue one, and then I read bits and pieces, and it, it seemed really solid, but it didn't seem amazing. It looked like I was really going to love it when I got to it, but the vision... 
there's moments in there that are killer. And and although Scarlet Witch isn't a part of his life anymore at that point, there she's heavily in flashbacks. And they could incorporate they could incorporate her in pretty easily and sort of replace. Now let me ask one. you. Let me ask you because I I was reading a bit of the Vision and prior to reading it, one of the things I noticed was the characters of you know his wife, his kids. Is that their first appearance? Is it like where they're first yeah. introduced? They're yeah, not introduced indeed. in anything prior to the Vision no, Number no, One. They're totally new. There, there were there were children introduced years ago that the Scarlet Witch kind of created by taking. As I understand it, the explanation was something like witchcraft. She to well, yeah, definitely hashtag witchcraft. But she <laughs> she like she organically made their bodies out of nothing. But she plucked the souls from somewhere. They were real souls because she can't she can't. The Scarlet Witch can bend reality, but I guess the explanation was you can't literally create life, which I think is probably wise because then that opened up a lot of more kettle crazy, kettle crazy. It opened yeah. up a, and a whole other kettle of fish. So um, she, what kind uh, of fish? Trout? I don't know anything about fish. I grew up in Gloucester, Gloucester, Massachusetts, but I don't know anything about fish. Well, every time I think of fish, I just think of Matthew Broderick. That's a lot of fish. Godzilla. Is he in Splash? Godzilla, nineteen ninety-eight. Oh. Wow, I saw that on TV a long time ago, and I never saw it again. I've heard it's terrible. Yeah, it's not great. Godzilla 1998, Matt. Matt just like looks at the American goes, Godzilla. I didn't think it was that horrific. But um, but the vision really good. The kids, there were kids that were Vision and Scarlet Witch's kids. And it is worth were, checking out. Yeah. It's, so you're telling yeah, the audience as well that they should come Indeed. on down to Carmine Street Comics exactly. and pick up a copy of. I always have the first volume of that. You do have it because it's fantastic. Well, I'll be I'm, buying it today. Sweet. Yeah, no, that's fantastic stuff. Literally, uh... No, Fantastic like Four is fantastic stuff. Well, they can both be fantastic, Peter. Um, Spectacular. Maybe even amazing. Web of, even. Ah, see, that's where it breaks down. Ultimate. <laughs> Web Spinner's Tales of. Ooh. Oh, man, me and Spider-Man. 2099. Go back. That's at the end of the word, though. Shh. I think you lost it. <laughs> Ravage. Crap. <laughs> oh, Stanley's ears are perking up somewhere. It's possible. <laughs> but yeah, so what would you do? Well, first off, actually, when I hear, you know, like a Scarlet Witch movie, maybe that could happen. Scarlet Witch doesn't really jump out to me as like the character I want to see a movie of. Black Widow, yeah. But the thing is with Black Widow, how many Black Widow stories are there really? There's the Mark Wade run, and then there's the run prior Nathan, to that. Nathan Edmondson was the writer of the one prior to that, yeah. And there was something called Itsy Bitsy Spider in, in 03. Or at least that's a subtitle they slapped on the trade paperback. I don't know if that was actually a story. But other than her most... Who worked on that. Well, other than her most recent runs, are there anything really memorable, per se? She didn't... I don't believe she ever had her own series until 03, somewhere around the year 2000, at least. So she had never had a solo comic. Yeah, that's actually a really good point. If I think about it, I can't think of, like, a great Black Widow story. When I think about Black Widow, I think about the, this more recent spy stuff, Nathan Edmondson, Mark Wade, and I think about, like, the fact that she has had romantic entanglements with Daredevil and Hawkeye, which would be really kind of lame to just make a movie about her relationship with Daredevil. So now Hawkeye, you know... if or they were Hawkeye, to, well, some people like calling him these days. And the thing is this, like, you're bringing up the Matt Fraction run. Oh, so good. I feel that if it was the most overrated run of all time, it sucked. No, I'm kidding. That was him and I have talked about. We're both uh, Matt and I are both graphic designers, and when it came to that, like the use of color and all that, it was cool. I loved it. The wild, fun geometric shapes, and yeah, they played, they played fantastic, loose, crazy games that I'd never seen anyone do before. David Aja rules. Comics page. Yeah. But yeah, so what I am thinking that if they were to do a Hawkeye movie, 
the fraction run would be perfect to adapt. Well, but then it couldn't quite be cinematic universe. Oh, I guess it could be. They could play around. He's it still could alive. be kind of a flashback because well, they've portrayed him now as a family man with like the farm. So it doesn't quite make sense to have him be living on his own in Brooklyn. I said, leave him alone. He's a family man, and his bark is much worse than his bite. I don't know music, so I. Oh, that's Hall and Oates, man. I'm always lost when it comes to music, man. But what about Hall and Oates? You asked me for the guard. You, 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 in a way, you you made like the worst choice because you got me for the Guardians two episode, and the Guardians movies are so much about their music, and I don't know anything about music. I'm awful. Well, the awful. and pro wrestling. I also don't know anything about wrestling. I'm not sure that affects this. Ah, well, Bautista. The, Out of any of the movies, that has a the, wrestling connection. The best conversation ever recently was the night before I uh, got here to record. I'm on the phone with you, and you said, oh, yeah, are they going to have pro wrestlers at this convention, like Macho Man Randy Savage? Yeah, I go, well, I kind of as a, like a pejorative. And I said, well, that'd be really awkward because Macho Man's been dead for seven years. Yeah, yeah. So which I was just like, oh. Oops, you know. I think I made a really dark joke about him, too, afterwards. I think I said, you know, oh, he's green now. Yeah, yeah, something like that. So. That's awful that I'm, I didn't know. I'm going to hell. You know, a friend of mine does impressions of him. A comedy show. This guy who's the Patrick Patrick Riley. He's the store's writer-in-residence. Right. And he, I edit his comics, too. He's the man. But he does this, he does this fantastic impression of him. So I think that alone would have made me think that he was alive, because that's, that's even more horrific than I thought, and I've got to bring that up with Pat, that, uh, that apparently he, it's a dead man. That he's doing these impressions of, and I like when you do impressions of Dusty Rhodes, baby, he's dead too. There really hasn't been much Marvel-related news in the past couple of days, so what we're going to do next is we are going to get into our overall discussion of 2017's Guardians of the Galaxy cool. Volume Two. Meat of it, the meat of it, the meat of it, the the potatoes and the meat, the kettle of fish. Even though that had nothing to do with this discussion, I just like that expression. It's a great expression. It is, and I am Groot. But we are Groot. I am the Mandarin. <laughs> See, Eddie, I'm going to make that reference when you're not here. So you're welcome. Also, a fortune cookie. Because I can do his impression. You're the host. Is, you can do what you want. With the mostest. But anyway, so 2017 Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 comes out. And there I am getting hyped as hell for this. And as I told you off, Mike, it, it gets a little personal with this. So... I'll tell a little bit of a background story. I used to weigh 330 pounds. I was a very big man. You mentioned. Yeah, and... First time I met you, I think you mentioned. I think that's, like, literally the first thing I say. Hello, I used to weigh 330 pounds. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's, it's, it's a standard thing, you know? So, I lost all that weight, and part of the reason was I wanted to do cosplay. And I've wanted to do it for a very long time. And, to be honest, when you're a big guy the cosplay options are very limited. You have Kung Fu Panda, you have Majin Buu, you have the Penguin, the Kingpin. I'm going to use that one next time. Wait, who? Stop it. It's not a good look. Not a good look in the fashion sense or the... You got got King Hippo from Punch-Out. And... That's, um... Is that the... um, No, I'm thinking of Super Super KO as a monster. Punch-Out. Punch-Out must be a video game. Mike uh, Mike Tyson's Punch-Out. Video games. Give me a second and I know it. Music, I'm just lost. Utterly. It's all good. You're fine. But yeah, so like, people would tell me sometimes, you know, your name's Peter, you should cosplay a Star-Lord. I'm like, okay, whatever. And so around the time of the movies coming out, I'm like, you know what, I've lost enough weight, let's give this a shot. And for three months, I busted my ass getting into quote-unquote guardian shape, as I lovingly (laughs) called it. And I did all this hard work, and it paid off. I got to do the costume, although I had a little bit of a paunch, but whatever. And you were like pre-movie Chris Pratt. 
you know, like a little, just a little bit of pudge. Just a little, but. You know, which is the healthy, which actually is like the healthy place to be at for sane, normal people. Like getting these like washboard abs and I, oh, don't get me started. Don't get me started. People making themselves <laughs> into fake movie stars because they're unhappy. Well, makes me sad. My thing was, I, you know, I got into doing the whole, you know, getting ready to do this. And I actually, I have on my arm a Star-Lord helmet tattooed. And I've heard people, I think I've showed you, right? I don't know that you did. Let me see. You probably did. I'll, well, I'll show you for, the, you know. The listening cool. audience, but yeah, basically, it's fun and like um, classically kind of like graphic instead of like realistic. I like that. I'm a fan of minimalism, so cool. the way I have the tattoo done is in a, min- a minimalistic style. And if you're on Instagram, you know, check it out at Peter Melnick, so you can see it on there. <laughs> but basically, the reason I did that was, you know, people would go, "Well, you're really obsessed with the character." I'm like, it's more of a remnant, you know, reminder of those three months where I busted my ass to get to where I am now. Yeah. Gotcha. So it's yes, I'm now obsessed with the character because now I own his first appearance. I own this. I own that. Whenever I see Star Lord shit in a store, I will get excited and pick it up. Well, I own how I am with Spider Man. I own way too many stuffed animals of Star Lord. That's adorable. And it's an uncomfortable number. <laughs> but so the fact you know when I saw this movie, I was excited and. For a while, I was, you know, it wasn't as good as the first one, but it was good. It was good, whatever. And then the movie really sank in. Yeah. Like, I have a lot of, like, personal issues as well, like, where I can relate to the character of Star-Lord. And uh, Matt and I talked off mic about this. And he's like, you say that about a lot of characters. I'm like, no, Matt, this is more so affecting me, where I'm just like, you know what? That is me the relationship with Star-Lord and his father Ego played by Kurt Russell who was amazing in this movie True. is very reflective of the relationship between myself and my father and sometimes somewhat the less said the better but man that movie like it punched my heart in the dick you know <laughs> so <laughs> and Matt just looks I can see that. No, I just trying to read the oh. sign. I'm like, does it say the nipple or the apple? I want to know. The apple. I, I hope it says the nipple. You I can, ho- you, hear, can hope. Hope you, <laughs> you can hope. You can hope. Sorry. So yeah. Now the one thing about you know this movie, like I said, you know, other than the personal reason, it's a damn good movie. Yeah. And I agree. I think you know we're we're in a bit of a disagreement. I believe like. I like it more than the first one. And I think you like the first one more than the second one. I feel like they're very evenly matched, but I do I do think the second one's a better movie. Yeah. So I agree with you. Oh, good. Yeah. Which <laughs> Hooray. Is less interesting, maybe. I don't know. There's lots there's lots to chew into though. Well, there's a, there's a lot to talk about too, especially because one thing that I talk about with my fellow comic friends is your story that you told me about when Guardians 1 was first coming out. And you were, you know, as a comic shop owner, you're looking at the upcoming things and you see, you told me you saw two items that you're like, holy crap, Disney's really putting a lot of money into this and this is going to be a big gamble if this, you know, doesn't bomb. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And what was it? Um, What was it? Specifically, the toys, you mean? Yeah, and it was a rocket mask. Rocket raccoon mask and a Groot mask. When my original business partner that I opened this place with, this, this must have been like, let me see. If the, the movie came out summer of 2014, toys are usually six months in advance. I mean, it was probably November of 2013 or something in the middle of the night. We were looking at the orders in advance for summertime. And when, my, when we were scanning through these things, just scanning through the list of all the pr- upcoming product, when we hit that, I was going to keep going. But my, I think my original business partner, a guy named Mike, 
he he stopped short and he was just like, what? You know, and and I just what? It's more of these movies. It's more of the junk. They're gonna make it. And he said, no, dude, we're talking about Rocket Raccoon and Groot. We're talking about the tree guy that doesn't talk and the little talking raccoon. This is, this is crazy. Not not just like Star Lord toys, Rocket and Groot toys. They are, they are taking an insane gamble on this. And if this doesn't work, this is going to be a disaster. Oh, but if it works, it's gonna be crazy. And I said, yeah, yeah, no, you're probably right. But we got a million other things to, to go through before 5 a.m order deadline cut off mike but you know he was much better at the time management than me he probably knew that we had a, we had the time to stop and talk about it and i the, never do and the thing is like i even own a rocket raccoon the the one toy where it's you know he's standing there holding the big gun and you push a button and the gun like roars is that from from that first wave yeah. from 2014 yeah. i think i remember that i think i distinctly remember that and it's like one of like it it's not much of a toy but it's it's cool you know and the, ro- the rocket doesn't move. If I remember. it's not even like an action figure. It's, it's just it's, it's like a little non-moving rocket attached to a giant gun, and yeah. you can press buttons on it, right? And I know they also like I recently came across it. You know, as again, you and I were talking off mic. I went to Toys R Us, and one of the one Toys R Uses that was going out of business, they had a crap ton of Guardian stuff there. GOTG, but they had GOTG from 2014. They're all going out of business, by the way. We yeah. should have an episode on that because I could talk about that. All day, inside, all day and night. A little inside baseball with uh, your time there as well, I Yes, believe. six years, six years at Toys R Us. And there's still only 10% off of stuff, and like I think Legos is 5%. But again, that's a story for another time. Yeah. Man, so when was that? Was that in the 2000s? Uh, 2008 to 2014. So you missed Guardians of the Galaxy toys. No, 2014. I, I was there. Well, maybe you were there for part. Maybe no. 20. Trust oh. me, I was there for Guardians toys. I was there. I didn't buy any of them. <laughs> he was there. He remembers. It was real. <laughs> I bought the Legos. I bought the Guardians of the Galaxy Legos. I'm jealous I have of you for those. that. I have those. I've got the original Milano. That's this tight. That is pretty cool. And it is tight. We were um, imagine trying to fit in that thing. We were talking. Oh goodness gracious! Can't even fit a toe. <laughs> All right, you were saying. <laughs> Toys R Us. It is. But yeah, cool like to bring up Toys R Us. I mean, we I, both. We you, you were saying yesterday that it felt like a piece of your childhood slipping away watching Toys R Us close. I yeah. I definitely agree. I definitely agree. And although, like, do you know? Do you remember? We're if I recall, we're like almost exactly the same age. We're really close. Yeah. Do you remember? Do you remember? Um, I think it was just called Child's World or Children's World. Never had. Never had any of those by me when I was growing up. It was. I, I, I remember. It's a, it's a regional thing, kid. like steamed hams. In- Maybe. <laughs> and, and gyros? No, I never heard gyros. Are we talking about the Greek delicacy? No, like, I think, um, hmm, you know what, I'm not even sure. No, I think it's a, it's a different thing for, um, some people, will go, some regions call it a submarine sandwich, and some oh, yeah, call yeah. them a hero, and some call them a gyro, right? Yeah. I think? I think so. Yeah, we're getting not. Is that what Bonnie producer. Tyler the was saying? The producer is always the producer knows. Is that what Bonnie knows. Tyler was holding out for? Holding out for a hero? Yeah, man. Because that's way. I mean, holding out for a hero. There's no real hero going to save you, but you can go get us. See if Eddie was here. It's he, real. See if Eddie was here. He would have the year of the song, and I'm going to wing it for Eddie. I believe that's 1985. Eddie, when you are listening it definitely to definitely sounds th- 80s. Well, Eddie, when you're listening to this episode, please let me know. <laughs> Send me a text and just be like. <laughs> Pete, you were right, or Pete, you're an ass. So I will know which one is which. But 
what I find funny is, like I said, you know, going to that Toys R Us and finding some of those Guardians toys, and they had some from 2014 still. Like, they had one figure, and it was hilarious. It was absolutely hilarious. Because by me, there's this outlet store called Ollie's, and they sell used, or they sell wholesale stuff from when, like, a store will go out of business. And they recently, for example, they just had a whole DC Comics buyout. Books as low as uh, $2.99 to $5.99, and they were, like, showcase books they were paper like you know hardcovers and all this shit like even the um dc archives were in there for six dollars holy crap yeah that's crazy and so when i was there they would always have the one star lord figure and i'm like you know what i'm not gonna buy it i I, i'll that's where i draw the line and then the mania set in and i was like you know what i need to go to ollie's and see if they have it and then when i went it was gone and it was a figure and if you notice how they do these figures you push a button and it'll have a voice. Oh, I'm Star-Lord, whatever. Uh-huh. And they aren't the movie voices. This was one where it was Chris Pratt. It was. It said movie, voice, everything, and you push gotcha. the button. Because this was... No one expected this to be good. So they're like, you know what? We'll get Chris Pratt to you know voice a toy. And they did. Yeah, pretty cool. And then he didn't come back for the other toy. That ass. And then it was too much money. He got too big. And... Yeah, it was it was funny because I you know I saw it sitting in Toys R Us. I'm like, oh, I'm getting that. And then behind the store or behind that Toys R Us was a Ollie's, and they had plenty in there. So now, while we're once again on the topic of Guardians, another thing about this movie is it is actually the first time they used the new title sequence. And part of why I've wanted Wait, isn't to do it, isn't it the second one? Well, Doctor Strange is the first. Wait. It's the first time I saw it. It's the first time I saw it, though. Oh, first okay. It's the first yeah, time I then saw Doctor it. Strange is the first usage of yeah, it. Yeah, but then I didn't see Doctor Strange until, like, mid-2017, personally. Yeah. So when I sat down with my girlfriend in the theater to watch Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, it was the first time I saw that they changed the title sequence. That's that's what you're remembering from this conversation? Yeah, because oh, good. that was part of why I good. wanted to bring you on. it. Because it makes me so angry. You, Yeah, your reaction to that was very interesting to listen to. And I'm like, you know what? I can see why someone would feel that way. You don't, uh, you don't like the new title sequence? I, I not only think the new title sequence is over the top, that's just, but that's pure aesthetics. I can, it's I can Cobra. Get that. Oh, wait, we're, go, we're not going with Stallone movies? Cobra is the name of a Stallone movie? Yeah, from Canon Movies, 1987. And it's and he, over the top? Well, he did over the top, I the mean, arm wrestling Stallone. movie. Most Stallone movies are over the top. But Cobra's the movie where he eats pizza with a pair of scissors. That doesn't make any sense. We should sense. do that. <laughs> pizza with a pair of scissors. We can do it at the Spider-Man 2 place. Yes. I have scissors. I was going to say, we don't have scissors, but we have pizza. It's this a store. I got scissors. I can hook you up. That's That sounds like a divine idea. But anyway. Anyway, so. I definitely think aesthetically it's a little over the top and ridiculous and kind of, I don't know, kind of dumb. I saw someone online referring to it as, like, masturbatory, which maybe is a bit much, but I follow where they're going. It's it's super, oh, my God, look at us. We are so great. Uh, I can see a, that. A college professor of mine said that's actually all title sequences of any movie ever. They, black on white type, slow, dramatic music. He, 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 he was usually very reserved, and he, but he said all of these movies, every single time they're trying to say to you, this is going to be the best movie ever. But my problem with it goes deeper, because I love comics. Sequential art has been the main focus of my life since I was like eight years old. And these movies aren't sequential art, by definition. They're just not. They're film. They're not comics. Well, the storyboards are. 
Yeah, totally. Like the storyboards are basically storyboards are basically simplified comics, and that's one of the super super awesome things about film is it almost every other art form. I, I love film. I love film to death. I do. One of the coolest things about it is that is it almost every other art form is kind of combined in it in some way. Like uh, you have to kind of do a sort of rudimentary theater to record a bunch of actors walking around to make the movie work. You also need to understand some you know you need to create a kind of a really basic version of painting because you're going to have to do some kind of some kind of minor special effects you're going to have to think about the picture plane the flat nature of how this is going to play on a screen right. you can't just do theater point the camera and then expect it to magically work as a film it's going to end up being this flat thing you're going to have to kind of have a vague understanding of painting or photography or something you have to literally do photography in a very literal real physical sense because a film or at least old school film was just 24 frames of photos i'm gonna prove you wrong and do this around you in front of uh i'm gonna make a movie i'm gonna make a movie and it's gonna be blackjack and hookers <laughs> and no and digital and so di- do it digitally and have no like no actors i think, I, think I can then, do it but if it's p- flat picture plane abstract film then it's even more painting you can't escape it you can't escape it film as one of the newest art forms is combining a million elements of all the others. But yeah. anyways, that's that's my way of pr- pointing out that I, I do recognize that film is A, amazing, wonderful, beautiful, important, It it's uh, and it combines comics to a degree because the, A, the 24 frames a second is kind of like a really, really crazy sped up comic. You have to often, at least when they do a storyboard, they've made a rudimentary comic. I love comics and I don't want comics to go away. I think comics are important. I think comics are expressing things and expressing them in a way that film isn't and can't. Just like you, a painting is different from a film and like a novel is different from a film. Comics are just another way to express ideas. So the opening credits made me angry because the flipping comic pages are gone. The, the flipping comic pages where you could see actual art, you could actually recognize the work of individual creators' styles on those pages. Like I could recognize Mark Bagley's art. In, a, in some of those flipping pages, even though they were going by really quickly because of his really distinctive faces and his really distinctive dialistic choices. And just the, the visibility of a couple word balloons. Just a couple word balloons and some paneled-looking artwork and, you know, broken up into panels and, and, and comic book-style artwork flipping in front of people's eyes, I thought was at least... It was at least a nod. It was at least an aesthetic, cool choice that was, that was making comics look cool. And making it clear that this is based on comics. Because I have people all the time who walk into my store, because I share space with another store, who walk in and don't realize they've walked into a comic book store. And then I have a conversation with those people. If they, the people that don't seek out comic book stores, the people that aren't geeks like us, who have been reading this stuff. We are nerds. Years, unquestionably. <laughs> Poindexters. And I wouldn't have it any other way. Damn right. Um, so I'll, I'll try not to soapbox too much. But so the end of it, the end of it is that people, some people still don't know that comics are out there. People still don't know that comics exist as a concept. Some people still don't get that they're still being made. They think that this is all, they think that these movies are all based off of comics that were made 50 years ago, like like it's Pride and Prejudice, which would be kind of cool. Yeah, there's a graphic novel adaptation of that, which would be cool too. And that happens. I mean, Watchmen was very much its own thing that was done for one year. Now they're messing with that. That's a whole other issue. But That's a whole other kettle of fish. Yeah, that's a whole other podcast of fish. I don't think fish can podcast. They could try. Stop lying to the audience. <laughs> oh, Peter. Now we got to have a fish cast. How would that work? Glub, glub. Glub, glub. And a lot of, like, shorted out electronics. <laughs> <laughs>
so I mean, someone someone literally stood where we're sitting, where we're sitting right now in this corner of the shop. I had someone literally stand here about forty eight hours ago and say, "The Walking Dead is based on comics." These people exist. I'm not imagining it. So yeah. it's sad because then less people are reading comics, discovering comics. We can I can sell less comics. Me individually here, I'm having I'm a struggling comic book store, so I'm doing less. I'm making less money. But then also the creators are making less money. The publishers are making less money. And what makes me really nuts is that Marvel, Marvel was not, Marvel Studios is supposed to be an outgrowth, uh, outgrowth of Marvel Comics. Right. Marvel Studios is a comic book publisher that just took a crazy risk and borrowed $500 million from a bank and started a film arm. Why are they not giving back to comics in any real way? And then so on top of, so... All these movies, all this money, nothing goes back to the creators. You know, guys like Bill Mantlo is still alive, alive, but, but in a in a in a that almost really reduced hit, state. Yeah, badly. And not, and I'm sure he could be getting better care. There's almost no question he could be, he could be getting better care for the simple reason that he's a retired comic book. And I know that none of these people are making a lot of money because I've seen the numbers because I've worked with comic book writers because I've edited comic books and. The Guardians movies have made millions of dollars, right? Oh, yeah. And that, that, that stuff is what makes me crazy. So then on top of that, to see the title sequence be changed. So it wasn't even a nod anymore. So the, the flipping comic pages are there for about three seconds, and then they're gone. And then it, it turns into script pages, and then Captain America throws his shield out from the script pages. I was, I was so pissed. Super and then pissed. 30 seconds later, you're like, I like this movie. Yeah, I totally. Because it's a great movie. And <laughs> that, in fact, at the end, my girlfriend had to remind me. Do you remember when you were pissed? Yeah. Well, my girlfriend, but we didn't say anything. It was so quick. But my girlfriend also, my girlfriend also loves comics. And she has half a brain in her head. So she also saw the immediate implications as somebody who is, knows about the industry and understands film and understands comics. And just, just opening your eyes and reading a few articles about the comic book industry and the film industry makes it all extremely obvious. And then that happening. I mean, we both, she and I talk about comics, we both love comics, we both have a lot of comics, and we both have a lot of movies. She actually always wanted to write for film and television, and I always wanted to write comics. But I also love film, and she loves comics, so it's a really interesting combo. So, I have a bad short-term memory, so by the end of the movie, I was just like, God, that was great. And then she said, yeah, except for the opening credits. And I was like, yes! And I remembered, and then we, oh, I wanted to yell into the night. And then you grabbed your movie theater seat and just threw it at the screen. If only I could have, Peter. If could have, I believe I in you. Have. I believe in you. I'm not that strong. They're bolted down. Strong words from a strong man. Back to you. Angry, just an angry, weak man. An angry, weak, poor man because because comics. <laughs> Going over to the movie, this was an interesting choice because we ended up, first off, if you notice, at the end of Guardians 1, if you remember Star-Lord's last, no- last line, something good, something bad that they're going to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they did. They ended up taking... You know, they, they save the they, people. They st- save a whole bunch of people. They steal some batteries. They stole they save some more the, people. The bad thing was they stole the Harbulary batteries. Yeah, the Harb... No! Annulax batteries. No Harbulary. They're called Harbulary batteries. No, they're not! Oh, and so I want to know where that came from. And just... I love I love Drax for his conviction for that, where he... No, no, it is. Harbulary. <laughs> he was so... He was so sure. Harbulary. It has to be. And I feel... Drax was honestly, in my opinion, the strongest one, no pun intended, but yeah. the strongest one out of all of the performances in the movie. 
in the and, second one in particular. Yeah, like Interesting. a lot more memorable lines and it wasn't much in terms of character development, although we did see, you know, his slow romance towards uh, Mantis. <laughs> a kind of romance or something. Yeah, like it, it was getting there, but it's like the awkward school child where he's like, you're ugly, <laughs> but beautiful. <laughs> it's that, like, and I liked that, you know? I thought it was a good choice. And you also have, like, the use, like, speaking of good choices, during the production of this movie, James Gunn, and by the way, out of all the Marvel movies we've talked about so far, this is the one where I'll have the most inside facts about because, man, I was so hyped for this movie as it was getting ready to come yeah. out. And I was cool, reading cool. Go everything. Good. Well, James Gunn has gone on record saying that purple is a color that will not be seen in Guardians Volume 2. There will be purple, but not much like it was in Guardians 1. Interesting. And I was like, why? Well, in his, you know, I believe he posted on Facebook, he was like, well, because we had a heavy reliance on it in the merchandising, in this, in that. That's why, if you notice, almost all the Guardians 2 merchandise features, like, yellows. Yeah, yellows, um, pinks, blues. Super, super light blues, yeah. And... Very 80s, neon 80s colors. Which is interesting. Interesting. Well, which is interesting, because if you look at Thor Ragnarok, the 80s synth soundtrack done by Mark Mothersbaum. Mark Mothersbaum did the music for... um, for Ragnarok? I guess and I knew that. It's very 80s synth That's pretty heavy. cool. He's done like four or five movie scores now. Because mm-hmm. I think he scored the Royal Tenenbaums. And he, he and he scored some TV work. He did Rugrats back in the day. I know that. That's awesome. That's awesome. I didn't know that. And he like he did a lot of stuff like that. And That's pretty awesome. Oh, oh, Mystery Men. I knew there was yeah. another film. Of the, uh, yep. Also comics related. Also adapted from comics. Mm-hmm. They just needed Flaming Carrot. Yeah. Apparently in early script versions, they really they wanted to have Flaming Garrett. That was the plan, to have Flaming Garrett be the leader. But they realized that it would have to be CG. They felt they couldn't do it with practical effects, and they didn't have the budget. So they literally just had to cut Flaming Garrett from the movie entirely and, and make the shoveler the leader. Flaming Garrett is like one of the most underrated comic characters of all time. They are. They're bringing him back. In- Bob Burden is, is still alive, and he recently announced on, uh, on Facebook that he's going to be bringing back Flaming Garrett. That's fantastic. I want to see I'm looking that. forward to it. I'm looking forward to it. Man, what a delightful character. And if you don't know the origin of the character, how did he become yeah. a superhero? Quote, unquote. <laughs> he read a lot of comics. Fell asleep. Melted his brain, pretty much. and Woke up with a flaming carrot for a head. As is the fashion at the time. Just the 80s. It was crazy. Lots of cocaine. Oh, yeah. Lots of, like, mutations. The, mutant, the mutants were big. The mutants were big. Late 80s, plus cocaine. Plus, you know, uh, you know, Wolf of Wall Street. I don't know how that works out. Something like that. And then you get Flaming Carrot. And then you get Flaming Carrot. Just magic. You do. And, <laughs> yeah, I mean. Flaming Carrot for a head, man. Now, going back to Guardians, I feel it was, like I said, an interesting choice going with those color schemes because. It was you, weird. It was weird. It came out of nowhere. It's challenging. And then, and then it worked. Completely worked. But it's also challenging for, the you know, the director doing this because you have to be like, well, we can't have this. We can't have this. He's kind of making a movie for himself on hard mode. Yeah. When you yeah. think about it, like no he doubt. already had it on expert mode or super expert mode because he made a Guardians of the Galaxy movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That you for know, sure. well, in a way though, related to to bring it to comics again to to, to tie it to, to anchor it a bit. They there have been so few of them. The Guardians of the Galaxy. There've just been so few Guardians comics, and uh, they're kind of the redhead is Jep child franchise in the comic book world. They didn't really have their own book for a very long time. And then they had their own book that was 
completely taking place in this future setting that wasn't connected. And then they had their own book that was completely cosmic and almost never connected with other heroes. It always just, the gardens were always just elsewhere, which is why a lot of comics people don't know the guardians. Right. Um, and probably part of why they didn't sell very well and why then Jake Gunn had all this latitude to play, which, which ended up really working they, they, because the movies are fantastic. So it's interesting that you say that because in some ways his life was much easier. I'm sure somebody making a Superman movie, somebody making a Spider-Man movie, somebody making a Batman movie, the insane corporate pressure and the insane fan pressure and, and the crappy things that are being sent to you over Twitter and the death threats probably the way this toxic masculinity in comic books has become such an insanity. It, that 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 he didn't have to deal with, especially on the DC side, maybe because I've seen it heavily with DC. Uh, it's pretty equal everywhere, but I don't know. But anyway, now also we end up getting we with we're gonna like jump around on this. Sure. So good. One Exciting. of the one of the things I you know found interesting was the dynamic between. Star Lord and Ego, and as you know, I had prefaced earlier with my, you know, my whole rambling incoherentness. Well, I felt that it was a perfect representation of the broken home dynamic, and you don't. Many many people have. Um, there's a, there's at least one fantastic analysis on YouTube from, of Guardians? from a young woman of Guardians too, as a, as an analysis of like a broken home. And, yeah. the, and they all sort of were trying to protect Groot. They established Groot early on. This is, I, I wish I could remember her name. I should have looked it up. It's very well done. It's very, it's also very funny. It's, it's, uh, she keeps pointing out that she needed to drink whiskey while watching the movie because it hit home. So you're not the only one who has experience, which, which in fact I think really means that uh, it's not just your experience, which means he really said something. He said something really, really powerful about families. Oh, yeah. Because he, it, it, it seemed to apply to lots of people. And it, it's, it's one of those things that when I saw it, I was like, I like this movie, but I don't like it as much as the first. And I feel, I didn't know how to feel afterwards. I'm like, I like it, but yeah. Interesting. And, and do you think that's at least partially because you, like it didn't it, it click. felt so personal even? Yeah. That it was like painful in a way you were kind of subconsciously processing? In a way, yeah. And I, I feel intense, man. like as I'm watching this, I'm just like, huh, okay. And I feel with it. The thing about the movie was we have these characters and you want them to be feeling as real as humanly possible while still being, you know, over the top. One's a talking raccoon. Yeah. One is a talking tree. (laughs) And it's powerful like that, you know, they can take these kind of characters and just make them into something like that. And it's it's definitely a Mm -hmm. example Mm -hmm. of why James Gunn is a damn fine architect of film in, you know, the Marvel movies. And you don't get that in like a Captain America movie. You don't get that in a Thor movie, Iron Man. Yeah. Certainly not in the same way, at least not in the same way. I think those other movies have some things to say. Maybe, maybe with the exclusion of the Thor movies. <laughs> I, I love the Thor movies, but goodness, they never, they haven't quite clicked for me. Not even Ragnarok. No. No. Ragnarok was one where I was like, it's okay. It's not the greatest thing. But then That's again, how I feel about all of them, pretty much. Even Guardians? No, no, no. I mean, all, all three of the oh, Thor movies. I was going to say. The of Thor movies. I was going to say. They didn't, none, none of the Thor movies have. Get out of the store. Yeah, this right. is mine now. I take, take the deed. Um, I take the deed. The Thor movies, I don't know that. And you know what? Interesting that I'm specifically the Thor movies of what, out of the list you just named, that I was like, wow, 
Not exactly. They're they're also trying to say something about family, and they're really kind of failing compared yeah. to the Guardians movies, aren't they? The Guardians movies, I mean, man, that moment where Drax, what, no, well, he gets set up, doesn't he? Nebula says, they're not your friends. You're always yelling at each other. You're not friends. And Drax says, exactly, we're family. I mean, that's yeah. that's pretty awesome. And the Thor movies doesn't work, I think. I don't know. Didn't click for me. And they're very different, which maybe also hurts the trilogy element that they don't really work cohesively as a trilogy. I agree with you. I think the Thor movies are the weakest in the Marvel universe. I think Loki's really the only thing that keeps those movies afloat. Like, if you look at them, I mean, I think Dark World, like, was, like, okay. It was a movie. But, I mean, Loki steals every scene. It's, like, the only good thing in that movie. So. It was messy. They're messy. It was depressing, though, seeing, like, you know those movies compared to like the guardians you know because mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i've said it on the show before i'm excited for infinity war but i'm nervous how the russo brothers are going to handle the guardians it's just it's so big because oh, the guardians in particular yeah like well, how, so, and by that do you mean how they're going to interact with the rest of these uh, more serious not set so, not so much cast. that but their personalities as is are they going to still be able to maintain the level of personality that oh, they okay. showcase because James Gunn gets those characters, and it's going to be yeah, weird seeing yeah. somebody else and you know a different person with their vision throw these characters in. Because right now, all we're seeing is, hey, everybody, Groot's an angsty teenager, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and Star Lord is a dick. Uh-huh. That's really about it. You mean in the trailers? For, yeah, for, so for far, Infinity what War. we've seen. Interesting. Okay. And it, I'm very nervous about it, you know, because I want to see them utilized properly. Well, there's um. Are you referring to that shot where he, he's jumping backwards through a portal that Doctor Strange has made for him? No, it's, it's just like, like I said, you know, just the person, like the whole, you got a great plan, but it sucks. Like that oh, yeah, stuff, yeah, and yeah, I'm yeah. just like... I forgot about that. That, that. That's what everybody went crazy for first, because every, yeah, the Robert, first... Downey Jr., Robert Downey Jr.'s version of Tony, is, of Tony Stark, is the sarcasm, the real heart of the, of, of the Avengers, and he's ridiculously sarcastic, and he's pretty much the leader, and Star-Lord is very much been turned into a sarcastic character for the movies and he's pretty much the leader of the guardians and also tremendously sarcastic so yeah i remember people finally losing their everybody waiting for that and then we finally they sent out that clip in one of the trailers in one of the teasers in one of the tv spots or something and everybody on, on twitter went nuts and um, I, but you're right it's not there's not a lot of nuance there like it's sometimes it's like you're seeing a character like let's say when you saw Name a like a character that you know the writing team changed eventually, and you know you like that run. Man, that happens all the time in all kinds of places, doesn't it? Because like, right now I'm thinking Hawkeye. Yeah, like, Matt Fraction's run we were was talking amazing. about that earlier, and the characterization has been really difficult for other people to nail. Also, you could, I mean, I'm sure some hardcore fans were very upset at the way Fraction wrote Hawkeye. I'm sure some people yeah. that really, really loved Hawkeye back in 1985. When he had a miniseries, he, he's been he's had a and he had an ongoing in '03 or so. He he was always portrayed as a rebel, definitely like a, a, a iconoclast, definitely, but like a no nonsense rebel. Like a, I think you're wrong. We should try something fresh here. But I know what I'm doing. And yeah. Fraction introduced him as kind of a reintroduced him as as kind of a a delightful bumbling idiot who's yeah. just kind of narrowly pulls it off every time. And so it was, it was, yeah, definitely. And then, but then now, though, that is now the more favorite Hawkeye. That's what everybody 
But, I, I know that it's become that for me, but as I wasn't super associating with Hawkeye. I wasn't relating to Hawkeye. Now, this idea of a white guy in his mid-30s who's up and bumbling through and figuring out as he goes along is incredibly relatable to me. So now I want Hawkeye to be written that way in all the other books, and it's not. And that's why, like, when the Jeff Lemire run came out, I couldn't get behind it. Like, it was... He was fighting, like, monsters and stuff, and I'm like... That was tough. This is... That was so This tough. isn't my Hawkeye. Yeah. And... Because they really tried to create a bit of a continuity. They tried to d- keep some of the design elements, as you were talking about, that AHA and Fraction laid into it. They tried to... They got Raul... Uh, oh, my God. I hope, I'm, I hope I'm remembering his name right. He is so talented. Raul Perez, I believe, is the name of the guy, and that they got to take over from AHA. And that was a really wise choice, because he's great, and he can do a lot, and he also plays with color in smart ways like you were like aha and fraction were doing but it was it was a little painful to watch them kind of try to recreate what aha and fraction had done but also then allow them to be free but try to recreate because they didn't want to lose those new readers that were more indie comics type folk they weren't usually reading marvel comics and they largely failed at least in my store those people did not stick around for very long on the new hawkeye on what all new hawkeye i think it was called much like all new coke yeah it can only can't last all new things we should just never do anything new never works it's true (laughs) so now also one of the things that i am realizing about this stuff is the after the guardians of the galaxy came out in 2014 we ended up seeing a revitalization of the comics they ended up you know like doing new versions of the characters and if you notice they made them look like the characters in the comp in the movies indeed and I'm fine with that because, unfortunately, like, that was my introduction to the characters. Like, the movies were mine. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and there was for a lot of people. Because even for a lot of comics readers, as I, as I was saying, not a lot of uh, – even hardcore comics people didn't have not read The Guardians uh, until now because of the movies. Yeah. And I think it's interesting because we have, you know, these characters, and they look the way they look because of the movie. and. There's, you know, criticisms, you know, lobbied against them, you know, and... There's always this thing. I mean, I I went on and on about how comics are important to me earlier. And I definitely am a little miffed. I I definitely myself am a little worried when I see that something has been altered in the comics to make it look more like the movie adaptations. It feels like a watering down. It feels like a dilution. It feels like a loss. Yeah. But it's usually not so horrifically... It's very rarely something that makes such a large change that it's a real problem. I mean, the Guardians were, I mean, they barely tweaked much of anything, especially because one thing that gives the Guardians more of a pass, I think, than most, even though you were saying yourself some people hate what ben, the Bendis has run because it was post the movies. But, you know, what gives them a lot of pass is that the original, original Guardians from 1968... Is boring. It is pretty boring, and it's completely different. Like, it's completely different. So the Guardians had already gone through such crazy transformations. The original 1968 version of the Guardians was was the last survivors of, of, of each planet in the solar system. The last surviving person from Pluto in the year 3000 and the last surviving person from Jupiter in the year 3000 and the last surviving person from Alpha Centauri and the last surviving person from Earth forming a team. It's completely different yeah, from and- every other version of the Guardians. Even, even, even just a few years later, the new version, well, no, I guess the... The new the new version in like 1975 when they brought them back was pretty much that but tweaked. But they've been they've been they would disappear for years. The Guardians have have almost never been consistently published until now because of the movies. And even now we'll see because they're currently canceled. Yeah, I don't think there's a new book slated. The closest thing to a Guardian series right now is Infinity Countdown, 
you know, yeah, yeah. and it's drawn by Aaron Cooter, who, by the way, I will be moderating his panel at East Coast Comic Con. That's going to be super cool. Oh yeah, alongside co-creator Rocket Raccoon Keith Giffen. I barely have known you before, and I was not involved in that. I'm just proud. I'm proud of you. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks, Dad. <laughs> so, <laughs> so now we also have some fan questions pertaining Exciting. to this episode this movie and this question comes from aubrey scott on our facebook page if thanos throws something at gamora will star lord be able to save her in time <laughs> like if okay. she was shot at will star lord take a bullet for himself instead of gamora or will tony take the bullet for the entire guardian slash avengers team this is pertaining to infinity war by the way sure sure i put that together who will die in infinity war some good guys but will thanos lose any of his power or his people interesting i don't, I don't think first off because this is drifting away from our Guardians 2 talk, but because I want to, you know, just get more, you know, interaction and whatnot. I don't think anyone from, I think, the Black Order, they're called? Yeah. Well, they, um, in the comics, they were called the Black Order. I think in the movie, what they've done is they've changed one of the characters' names because one of the characters' names was just... It's it's a real scientific thing, a black dwarf, right? It's a kind of it's a kind of star or something. I'm pretty sure. I mean, yeah, I, I don't know. But they, I think they felt it was confusing, or it was a little too simple, or it wasn't cool enough sounding. So they they changed it so that black dwarf is called the Cullobsidian. No, yeah, so I've gotten it backwards. In the comics, they're called the Cullobsidian, but they've decided that name sounds cool, and so they've given it. They've taken black dwarf's name. They said like that's too silly sounding. We'll call him the Cullobsidian, and now they're the team's called the Black Order. I think, yeah, yeah, his generals. I'm actually really, I'm extremely fascinated with them for one reason. They are so new. I won't digress too much, but it's really interesting to me, and I think I've been meaning to do like a Twitter thread and try to unpack this and ask for people's opinions because they have only been around since late 2013, early 2014. And these were created by, I believe, Hickman, right? Yeah, Jonathan Hickman, exactly. And he's a really, man, crazy smart writer. I was, I thought of him as kind of being really pretentious when he first showed up on the scene, but then he, man, he earned it. He earned it in the end. He earned it. These past 10 years or so he's been in the industry, he has done such fantastic work for Marvel, such fantastic work on his own. He really, he won me over. Now, if I were to go back and watch those interviews, I would be like, teach me, sir, teach me. You know what I'm saying? So, but the Black Order is really fascinating to me because they are so new. And the designs, the designs for the movie, they haven't been altered at all. Almost literally at all. They look the tiniest of changes. They look almost exactly the same as, as they were introduced by Hickman and, um, gosh, who was the first artist? Maybe Deodato Jr., Mike Deodato Jr. might have been the first artist to draw them in late 03. In the uh, Avengers series, correct? Yeah. yeah, I think so. Yeah, because I think they first appear in Avengers 8, of like the fifth volume or something, I don't know. Just before Infinity, just before the big event called Infinity. So I'm really excited for that, because I think, conceivably, that could help comics out in a way, too. And I'm going to keep bringing it back to comics. It, I'm, I'm just really, I, I, I think there's some potential there for the simple reason that if I show someone a comic, for the first time there'll be a character that genuinely is immediately recognizable it won't be like well they're always immediately recognizable but i always know Who's superman myself i mean superman obviously you're right that was that was uh that's totally not the way i would phrase it i mean not just recognizable but there will be no feeling of to use a term i used earlier off off mic there'll be no feeling of like the ghettoization of comics because when someone oh, no. sees when someone sees the Black Order in the comic book after seeing the movie and they look exactly the same. The person's brain won't say, 
oh, this is what they looked like before those talented movie designer Hollywood people got a hold of them. You know, Captain America looks completely different in the comic books than he does in the movies. Superman looks completely different. All of them have been altered. But of course, in retrospect, they're being altered. I mean, Superman's design was was done in like 1935, 1934. You know, the first comic was 38, but they were trying to shop Superman around for, for as a strip for, for five or six years. So anyway, I'm excited for that. Never mind. That doesn't answer the question. Well, I feel that, you know, that was a very interesting question that we received, you know, in regards to Star-Lord, Gamora, and Thanos. And and who, so who do we think is going to die? Who do we think is going to die? Well, out of, out of I don't think Star-Lord will die. There's no way. It seems really unlikely anyway, yeah. Although, and, didn't Gunn say the third no what he said was the third movie is going to be the last with this team, original lineup yeah with this, with this lineup i still say it's going to be drax because drax, drax will die. yeah because he's oh wow yeah, that could work he's offered interest to return to wwe and i oh, don't want him back because of that reason because <laughs> he oh, will no. die not dave i mean drax yeah i oh, don't I, want that but now going back over to our topic at hand of the guardians you know volume 2 this is a movie where it overshadowed a lot of elements of the first one and for example yeah, i think so too i i've said it before you know because like i said i do the star lord cosplay and i own the awesome mix on cassette i oh, own awesome adorable. mix one and two on cassette and yet i own more copies of volume one than i do two and i think volume film. like you have no, it on no, the uh, cassettes or the uh, soundtrack okay and i go on how I own, I own volume one on two copies on vinyl. I actually have the pi- I cool. have the regular the deluxe Did it edition. Like a deluxe, okay. That one and um, that's cool. That's a picture cool. disc with Star Lord's helmet, and the back was the teaser poster. I own it on two copies on CD because one, my other one got damaged, uh-huh. and then I own it on cassette. And yet here I am, where I proudly say I like volume two soundtrack way more than the first one, and yet I only own two copies of that. Now, I, I said several times already that I'm not much of a music person, so I'm totally, again, again, I feel like bad. I'm like the worst person for these two movies out of, out of all the people mm. you could ask. I don't know, I don't know, I don't know ugh, Michael Jackson from, from Elvis. It's awful. I'm awful. Genuinely, genuinely not a joke for many, many, many years for my entire childhood. I think I did not understand that Elvis and Elvis Costello were two different people because in my teenage years, someone was like Elvis Costello, and I was like, the who now? What? Who is Elvis Costello? Elvis does like the what now? 80s. And I was like, 80s? What? Who is Elvis Costello? I have no idea who you're talking about. Like, I'm terrible. Uh, for many, many, many years, I was convinced that Aerosmith and... Uh, there's two bands, and I genuinely did not recognize they were two different bands. It was like Aerosmith and, 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 and the Rolling Stones or something. I don't know. It doesn't make any sense how that's possible now. After people have explained to me the difference, I don't even understand how that's possible. But I swear to God, I'm that messed up. But... Mr. Blue Sky by the Electric Light Orchestra is my personal favorite song of all time. That was the most amazing opening. So good. And I, I post in Marvel Shield posting, and it's a, it's a posting group on Facebook. Oh, and oh good. They'll, sh- they'll share memes and stuff like that. And there was a, a best Marvel Cinematic Universe battle, a battle of the battles. Okay. And it broke like my— Like for best soundtrack? No, best, movies or- best fight scenes. Okay. And it okay. broke my heart oh, no. when Mr. Blue Sky got eliminated after the second round. Oh. It bummed me out so much because I'm like, you know what? That is a great scene. And it's not a great, it's 
maybe it's not a great fight scene. Though. Oh, it's a great I, scene, but not a great like. It, there's a fight. Yeah, but it's really not a fight scene. But I, I still it's a, it's a dance number with a fight scene happening in the background, well, which is what makes it great. And Groot's a, a damn scene. good Groot's a damn good dancer. Yeah, and wasn't it um. Didn't they reveal that, that was uh, James Gunn himself doing the motion capture for the dancing? Didn't I hear that? I or, never or heard that one. That makes sense, though. <sighs> Although it might have been it might have been Sean Gunn doing the uh, motion capture because he also does the motion capture for Rocket Raccoon. Oh, interesting. Okay. So, although I do find it funny that you know when maybe I have a little bit more faith in how they're going to handle Guardians in Infinity War because they even brought along Sean Gunn to do the motion capture for Rocket. So, yeah. So, Man, that's about, to a degree, that's uh, keeping the verisimilitude. That's it, about keeping this unified, you know, produc- fictional shared universe And production rolling. process. I was just reading an interview with um, the Russo brothers saying that they, they did consult with all the other directors. They talked with Ryan Coogler of, of Black Panther. They talked with James Gunn, that they were involved in some of the scripting and the process to make it all feel cohesive. Then I place my faith in Blast Hard Cheese. So now also, one of the things, you know, we had talked off mic about this, and I found it to be a very interesting thing, is how, you know, in comics, a lot of creators don't get the due respect that they deserve. And that is very evident with how Marvel treated Bill Mantlo. For years. And with the movie, you know, when Guardians 1 first came out, it was revealed that you know Bill Mantlo ended up getting a special screening of the you know right. of the film. And I I think I misheard because I was under the impression until today until you corrected me off mic that that was the only thing done for him because I'd read about that special screening, but I thought to myself, my God, this guy was in a hit and run in '92 and was in a in a um, was not well. I think uh, I, I'm not sure the exact terminology for what state he was in, but he was—he was certainly. I've I read about it enough to know that Bill was not well, and the Guardians movie made millions of dollars. And I'd heard about the screening, that they'd basically brought a DVD to the hospital, and that made me angry because I thought that's just—that's just not enough. That's not close to enough. But I'd also—I had also been. I think misinformed by somebody or perhaps some bad assumptions or misunderstanding of an article I was under the impression that he that he'd also that he was deceased that well you know what happens when between you between 2014 between the two films that he died but I, I was incorrect well you know what happens when you assume right you make an assume at a many yeah, so pretty much I definitely had a couple teachers that loved that one they did and <laughs> I think it's it's very you know like you were telling me off mic that they I believe financially compensated him a little bit. Yeah, that's what I just looked up from what you were correcting me. And not only is the man still alive, still with us, but Marvel actually has apparently appropriately compensated him for the use of Rocket. And the, and because of more money coming to him because of this use of the character in these two films, that his brother has been able to move him out of the nursing home and into a small house in the same neighborhood that the brother's living with his wife. So he's you know finally being able to live something like a normal, a normal life. Normal life. That's and that's awesome. The guy deserves it. I did a ton of work for them for a decade. Micronauts, man. Yeah. And, Rom. Um, gosh, he was on two or three years of Peter Parker's Spectacular Spider-Man, I believe. Yeah. I think like from issue, somewhere from like issue eighty to issue one hundred and ten or something. Just a you know a solid writer, and he put out some amazing content. If nothing else, Rock Eye Raccoon, and and if the very <coughs> point of this podcast and the point of these movies, these multi-million dollar movies that everybody loves, and Rocket is. Kind of the, the the emotional hinge of the second one. I would I would have really really glad that he's he's been more properly taken care of. That's awesome. That's such a rare 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 instance in this industry. That's great. 
Now, real quick, you just said that, you know, Rocket was the emotional hinge of the film. Elaborate on that. Why do you think so? Interesting. I'm surprised you don't. There's an no, I, I, I would like to know why. There's an interesting, okay, there's an interesting trick that Gunn pulled off. Actually, did actually I don't know. Did Gunn write the entire script this time? I know that he co-wrote the first movie with a woman, I hope I'm remembering the name correctly, I want to say Nicole Perlman is the name of the woman that co-wrote the first Guardians of the movie. I'm actually going on, I'm going to go wiki-walking right now. Good. Because so. it's my understanding that she had a lot of contributions to it, and she's often kind of forgotten. And I, don't, I, make, I want to make sure we don't forget her in this, although I don't think she was involved with the second film. I mean, I feel when I hear that, you know, Rocket is like the emotional hinge of the film, I definitely agree because you notice also Rocket's, you know, stance on his relationship with Star-Lord, like how it changes. And uh, one moment, I just... I, with Yondu? Just I mean, well... Written by James Gunn. Completely okay. written by James gotcha, Gunn. Gotcha. So it's Gunn. So Gunn's clever script writing in this case, in doing something really unique, in pairing characters, so that so that Nebula and Gamora end up having interesting character moments where they become reflections of each other, and we see that they're actually more similar than we knew in the first film. And having Yondu and Rocket have reflexive moments that makes us that make us see uh, as viewers that they're more similar than we knew, and then Star Lord and Rocket, I think as well. Yeah, and I feel like I'm forgetting. There's, there's, I feel like there's another whole mantis and mantis Drax. with Drax that they come to relate to each other, and we see that they they share some similarities. That they're outcasts. Yeah, it's like and, and it's like teams in a different way. Sort of. I was just, I was literally about to say teams. That's perfect, and it's is a very interesting you know dichotomy in the film. You know, it's really it's really smart because it allows a lot of character development to happen. I I feel that all of the characters change in this film. I want to know. Everybody changes a little bit in this film, and that's intense because there's so many characters, and there and so many were introduced, and we get development. I mean, we get development for Craggle, for God's sake, who was like yeah. this tiny character in the first film. We get so much more development for Yondu, who was a fairly minor character in the first film, and um, um, and then Taserface and Taserface gets a certain amount of um, development. You know what? I didn't know until last night when I did more research for this. He's from the comics. Yeah. Taserface is from the first two issues of the 1990 Guardians. By Jim Valentino. Yeah. And the actually, guy who went on to co-found Image Comics. Well, the funniest thing is about with Valentino is I've actually messaged him on Facebook and I said, hey man, what is it like knowing, you know, your character, or how, are you excited about this? Or how excited were you? And he's like, eh, I don't care. Oh man, really? Like it was in a roundabout way. I'm like, man, how does that, like, you should feel like a badass. I made that character. Like that's, I'm the, that uh-huh. thing I made is up there. Well, if you name your character Taserface, or you hat. want people to forget. Or Scrotum Hat. Rocket certainly thought he should have called himself that. That was a good name. And they really they, they also they did turn the character into a joke. Oh, the yeah. character is pretty is at least kind of menacing in the comic. He's ridiculous, but he's portrayed as a as a threat. And in the movie he's You know what? That's not fair though, is it? In the movie he's a threat. He's made fun of like crazy, but he's genuinely dangerous. He makes things extremely problematic for our main characters. Right down to the people, you know, like the, even the people who have the Harbalary batteries, they, you know, were laughing at him. Anulax batteries. That's not at all what it is. Harbalary. I just, I just, <laughs> no. lo- I just can't get over his emphasis of Harbalary. Yeah, he's so sure, exactly. Now, and Batista's delivery, right, in both films. Speaking of Batista, you know... It's a little bit of a weird thing I'm going to talk about, but in the professional wrestling circle, they do these interviews where they're called shoot interviews, and you they shoot on the actual things, meaning they tell the truth in you know an otherwise BS world. And in the interviews, you know, like they'll ask questions like, "What was it like working with so and so?" and they'll give their real candid thoughts. 
Interesting. And there's a series called You Shoot. And in You Shoot, there's a man by the name of Sinbad who will repeatedly in every edition ask how big Batista's is. Oh, no. And I find that very interesting (laughs) that in the movie, Drax is obsessed about finding out whether or not Ego Ego has has a penis. penis. Yeah. And I feel that was a very subtle nod to the the because I guarantee you every day James Gunn has gotten tweets with that. How big is Batista's dick? Like just that. You type that question in, and you will find a greatest hits compilation of people asking wrestlers that. And okay. their their reaction is Things always I priceless. Didn't need to know. You, well, yeah. And somebody on Reddit might have actually figured it out, which is the most depressing thing. Ugh. They they went like I, it was nerd forensics, and it was really. I, I heard about this. Did I hear about this? You might have. And then I, my main question when somebody told me about this was, how is that possible? Yeah. I kept being like, that's not possible. No, that's not a thing. You can't do it. But anyway, drifting away from Batista's dick. Uh, <laughs> and, probably for the best. Yes. Well, we ended up having a realization also that, you know, we have the character of Mantis. Yeah. And Mantis... It's kind of sad. I feel it's like... Funny but sad. She gets the verbal, like, she gets verbally destroyed multiple times in this movie. And and it's portrayed, like, naively, like, not even realizing it and just smiling through it. Although it was funny when she pet, you know, Rocket. And and he bites her? Yeah. 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 And it was a practical joke. Which I just made up. And, yeah, I mean, it's a very... Yeah. Trash panda. Hashtag tri- trash panda. Triangle-faced monkey. <laughs> right, triangle-faced monkey. I forgot about that one. And I love, the, I love the subtle motion you just see of him putting his hands on his face. I'm not triangle-faced. Like it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's so the level of innocence for that character. And again, actually going back over to Rocket, it's you watch him no longer be that character, like that, you know, gruff. Like he's yeah. still, you know. Or at least less so, right. You watch him change. But he, again, you, everybody changes quite a bit which is what i think is amazing because even mantis has a bit of an arc everybody gets to have a bit of an arc and i think it's largely done because of the pairing thing which is technically i think on paper anyone would argue and i couldn't argue against it's kind of lazy writing he just kind of paired characters and then develops one and then says they're the same so he develops twice as many but it's effective i feel for all of them and i felt like we learned something about all of them by pairing them up and having them learn something about each other and realizing they're the same. And we had, when we had mentioned that line... Maybe, of, maybe it works least with Mantis and Drax, though. They are still... They're pretty different. Well, the thing is, like, when you mentioned, you know, earlier that one line, we're family. Yeah. I feel Guardians of the Galaxy are a Fantastic Four if they were outlaws. I hear that. And... They're actually, you know, I watching it again last night, it was driven home to me even more than it had in the past. It's really like the Serenity Firefly crew from Joss Whedon's... I can see that. A lot. A lot. You, you could almost watch... You could almost, you could almost watch the Guardians of the Galaxy movies back-to-back with Serenity and make it a trilogy without the third film existing. They just all kind of fit. Captain Mal and... Uh, yeah. I mean, down Captain- to the long coat, for God's sake. I can see that. They're almost, you can, and, and, and just Gamora... Gamora and Inara, God, it even almost rhymes. Although Inara has a very unique role being a kind of legalized prostitute in the world of Firefly and Serenity. A respected legal prostitute. And this green whore. Yeah, Which yeah. was one of my favorite yeah. lines from the first Guardians. I, I always forget that line. Like, again... Well, you know, you forget it because it's so out of nowhere. And, and kind of out of character for Drax. Have you seen people make that argument? No. I've seen, I've seen like, a, a f- 
I mean, couched among a feminist argument about the movie that that's awful that he keeps making that joke bald-facedly no matter what. That's awful. They also point out that it actually, and this is 100% true, like regardless of whether or not you think that feminism has gone too far or something or whether or not you don't want to listen to a feminist argument, it's, that's undeniable. That actually doesn't make sense. He, he's literal. He's 100% literal. And you, you, you don't get the feeling that he genuinely thinks that this green-skinned woman has sex for money. There's no point at which you under, it seems like he genuinely thinks that he has sex for money, but he calls her a whore several times. But he's 100% literal about everything else, even down to the, I think that went over your head. Nothing can go over my head. I'm too fast. My I would catch it. My <laughs> reflexes are too fast. I will catch it. <laughs> and um, it's, it's, there's a couple problematic little, little moments here and there. There's some maybe toxic masculinity. I'm not sure that's actually the right term for it in this context. It's just, just, just a very, very, very minor, so typical for Hollywood, maybe even better than you usually see in Hollywood misogyny. In the, there is. I can see that. There. Now, one thing also you had mentioned, you know, off mic was that, you know, you saw this discussion about with Mantis. Yeah. With the, uh, I believe, the uh, misogyny as well. Yeah. Uh, elaborate on that a little. Like, that interested mm. me, too. Well, the, 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 I, mm, I can't remember where I saw this argument, but somebody pointed out that she's, she's really has no agency. Mantis has almost no agency in the film. The, the, she certainly, as lo, her alone as a character doesn't pass the Bechdel test. The film passes the Bechdel. You're familiar with the Bechdel no. test? No. Alison Bechdel is actually a comics creator, but this is also one of these things that's kind of moved out of the concept ghettoization of comics because the Bechdel test is a well-known thing. People just don't actually know that, it, that she's a comics creator. Alison Bechdel, she did a comic for many years called Dykes to Watch Out For. Okay. Really, really clever. And she did the memoir that, that was adapted to a Broadway play, Fun Home about growing up. I've heard of that one. Growing up, working in a funeral home and discovering she's a lesbian in her, in her 20s. I got to meet her once. She's really, she's very cool. She's very down to earth. She's badass. So she wrote, uh, in a, either tweeted it or I don't actually know where it originated because I don't think it originates from the strip because the strip is fiction. But perhaps she, perhaps it's mentioned in the, in the strip and then people knew, somebody read the strip, paid attention to the name of the creator of the strip and then started using it as a term. The Bechdel test is usually applied to film, but I assume it can work in any work of fiction, really. And to pass the Bechdel test, there has to be more than one female character. The female character has to have a speaking role, obviously. And then there has to be a scene in which the two female characters are talking to each other about something that's that not simply talking about a man. And it's very interesting, because when you go back and watch films with the Bechdel test in mind some really interesting things begin to happen. And the movie definitely passes... Oh, you know what? Maybe it doesn't. Because the, the only scene that I think is two women alone without a man in the room is Gamora and Nebula trying to kill each other. <laughs> and I thought of it very much as they're talking about themselves and their own relationship with each other and their sisterhood. But you know what? It is all entirely framed around the way they were treated by their father, yeah, who's a male character. They're very much talking about their experiences and their pain and then relating to each other. But it, the pain that they're, they were caused by in their childhoods is 100% Thanos, who's a male character. Oh, yeah. So maybe the movie doesn't patch the back. I thought, I remember thinking, oh, this passes because we had that awesome scene where the two female characters talk to each other and then relate their pain and then move forward. But maybe, I'm not sure. That's a little borderline. My, you want to chime in? Chris, Chris Pirate is here, who's a, who's a muralist. And a comics artist who happens to be here. You want to hop hop over? You're, you're chill with that, right? Peter? Yeah. 
Chris, say it again because I don't think the mic can pick up there. I think it passes. So what do you think that scene? Uh, <laughs> isn't that scene particularly or definitely it because it's it it it's addressing their growth and problems with each other. To say that no conversation can relate back to family is pretty crazy. That's, Fair point. I follow. What you you're know saying. what I mean? It like it, it but it's addressing. I follow. What you're where they are in life. And, and really their problem. Where they are now. Yeah, and, yeah. Where and, and where, where they have struggle with each other, but every like everything still everything we even if we don't mention it, everything every point of growth in life has something to do with family. So to say it doesn't count because it has to do with a male figure in family. To say it's to say like any conversation of growth wouldn't count. You know what I mean? Because it starts there. Absolutely. So yeah, that's, that's really interesting. it passes. <laughs> now, I'm curious now. I'm gonna actually look up. I'm gonna look up how the Bechdel test is exactly phrased. And also, so one other thing that I want to discuss is the usage of another character in this film. We kind of briefly touched on him in my opening, but Ego. Ego is, in my opinion, one of the strongest villains they've ever had. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. And Maybe second only to... Because I didn't think Hela was actually that... Or Hell? Yeah, Hela. I didn't think Hela was actually that strong a villain in Ragnarok. As I no. slipped away, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I didn't love Ragnarok. It was very funny, but it didn't do anything for me other than being funny. And I doubt Thor Ragnarok passes the Bechdel test. I was like, no way. Yeah. Anyway, sorry, it just popped into my head. But yeah, um, she she didn't work for me. I think Killmonger from Black Panther is the best oh. villain they've had, right? No doubt. And because this so, is the thing, so it's intense. it's a very fifty fifty thing because he actually raises some valuable points. So it's, you yeah. know, it's... Yeah. He's almost not a villain. In, in a, he's a very sympathetic villain. Yeah. He's, he's finally their Magneto. Ooh, he, and yeah, and then they... And spoilers if you haven't seen the movie. Uh, I don't know why you know, you're listening to this show, but... <laughs> I haven't seen the movie. What? For... Really? Yeah, I know, right? I was about to spoil something. Oh, my God, that's right. You said you've been spoiled. busy It's like been crazy. spoiled to me. I'm black. It's been spoiled. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. With with his unpa- untimely passing, yeah. you know, and that death scene is incredible, and the and the last line of dialogue, the it, the I don't want to be in a cage, I'm I uh, oh my god I had it memorized for a while because it was um, it's amazing the um, bury me at sea with the slaves that jumped off the ships because yeah. they know like your ancestors don't like your ancestors wouldn't know. Black Panther, Chikala, African man. My ancestors, African Americans, know that you don't that you, you'd rather be dead than than be sl- than be caged. Yeah. Holy shit, that's go crazy. That 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 line alone makes Killmonger the best villain because it has the most application to just the real world, and it's it, it makes his point of view stronger, which makes the entire everything other cho- every other choice, every other moment with the character in the entire the entire film becomes stronger by comparison. Now, if we had to have a line that's you know very strong. And it, it's funny because some, there are people like there's, you know, again, in Marvel Shield posting, just like people ripping the movie apart saying it's a terrible, it's not that great of a movie, whatever. Ripping apart Black Panther? No, uh, Guardians, Guardians, too. Guardians 2. It's funny for all these people that say it wasn't that strong emotionally. They sure do like quoting that one line, though, and referencing it. Yeah. And it killed me to put that tumor in her head, Peter. Oh, man. That is a good moment. And then you see uh, the, the look on his face. Good. Yeah. I'm, he really kind of acts the shit out of that. Yeah. The the two or three scenes that that are sort of you know that are in, that are cross cut. I guess it's really one scene that is cross cut back and forth because we're following Rocket getting to the planet and so forth. 
because uh, you know he's asking questions and it feels he's very kind of naive and in that one scene there's a real transformation for his character like a pretty intense there's lots of shades of meaning in and his delivery is in is, is pretty spot on in ego correct um well i meant peter i meant okay. i meant um me yes you no thank you oh my goodness oh wow now why am i not remembering pratt chris pratt uh, not me yeah definitely not you oh shucks you know you could be there someday one day you both got like a pretty broad jawed facial thing going mm. on yeah this but, is true yeah you know, as um, i i stuck my chin out for the audio too. podcast yeah so everyone can see oh yeah Somewhere Eddie's holding his picture of the or a poster of the movie Them. On a on a uh, previous episode, our Ant Man poster, or wow, our Ant Man episode, yeah. he had on hand the poster for Them, the nineteen fifties. Because it felt we, appropriate to. We were him? well, we were all just like, "Why do you have this?" He's like, "Why don't I?" <laughs> it was amazing. Like that was like that's one of those you really had to be there moments. But oh my god, was it great! So. The point of that anecdote is I like stories. So stories are good. I like that's st- kind of part of the point of your podcast and it is. this episode and the movie and and my life. And well you have birds in your life. Birds. Lots of birds. Birds flying in. That's a story that we have now about the opening of the podcast being ruined by the birds flying in. Those damn birds. And one of them might still be here because your producer is Matt, right? Yes. Matt, Matt was convinced there were four birds that flew in and only three birds flew out. And we couldn't find the fourth bird. It's like the it's like the high school prank of uh, painting on chickens. One, yeah, two, yeah. and four. Yeah, yeah. Where's number three or three? So that the principal or whoever will spend all day looking for number three. It's a good one. Now, one thing that I really dug was the like I said with the relationship between Star Lord and Ego, mm-hmm. and how it kind of reflects over to me with my dad. The big fight scene, <laughs> and I think you know what scene I'm talking about at the end. Sure, sure. Not just the shooting part, but I'm just like. He was partially getting like watching him beat the ever loving shit out of ego. I'm like, wow, I'm I'm watching my life go up on the big screen right now. Not actually the actual fight, but I'm just like, wow, that was very kind of therapeutic to see that. So man, that's that stories. That's the magic of it. It's that's awesome. It's cool. Like you know, you see this relationship between them, and it's not perfect. And it again, it also it reminded me of the relationship between my dad and I. I like how this just turned into a very psychological, psych, like sure. a, psych, uh, what's the word? The music, the movie is intense in that way. Yeah. It does have something to say about family. I think in a really strong way, dysfunctional families, but maybe all families too. When I see the moments of like you know, I'm your I'm your father, and like the buddy buddy moments, I'm like, I've lived that. Mm-hmm. And then the whole moment of like where it all goes to ish, I'm just like, I've lived that too, where. I knocked over my dad's motorcycle. Oh, dear. Yeah. Oh, interesting. That's a story for another. And then it all changed from there. And I'm just like, you see that one moment of where it all changed with, I gave your mother that tumor. And I'm like, oh, that's the motorcycle incident. It makes sense. You know what I mean? So. Hinge moment. Yeah. Where everything changed. And I feel when they. The relationship between them, it wasn't perfect, and it was an accurate representation of what the broken home generation is. And it's also, like, the aspect of, you know, you look at Star-Lord with his relationship with Yondu, and how somebody that's not family is family, and that is that father figure. He may have been your father, somebody wasn't your daddy. He is Mary Poppins, though. (laughs) And man, did that become, like, meme material. Big time. 
what I think is, you know, very interesting is, you know, that stuff, it, it transcended. But also, going away from the, the you know, I'm Mary Poppins, I'll, I want to go back over to the Star-Lord thing. You have that relationship between Yondu and Star-Lord, and I've seen it with, you know, like, you have friends that become, like, you know, almost like family. And to the point where, like, I have a friend, and he's, like, you know, sure. younger than me, but he's somehow like a father figure. It's weird. You know what I mean? It, but it's like that, those conversations you have. And that's yeah, life. People are, we're all just kind of ping pong balls bouncing around, smacking into each other. Like a eight ball corner pocket. Nope, never works out the way you plan. This, this episode took a very uh, somber turn, didn't it? Oh, it was going to happen with this movie, man. I feel so, yeah. And wait till you get to Black Panther. Yeah. That's two episodes away for you, I th- would think. Uh, three, because we got Spidey Homecoming, then we've got Thor Ragnarok, so then going to feel like going back to high school. I Thor can't... Ragnarok is going to be like a laugh a minute thrill ride, and then you're going to have to bring up the racial politics when you talk about Black Panther. It's going to get it's going to be intense. You should get Cornell West for that one. You never know. <laughs> but so now, in regards to because we're about to wrap this episode up, one thing that you know we're all wondering is going to happen is. What is going to happen with Guardians Three? And James Gunn is going. Where does this go next? Yeah, James Gunn has gone on record saying that you know we're going to have a different kind of soundtrack with the introduction of the Microsoft Zune, which I love that scene. That's a great gag, and it's brilliant. Microsoft is mad about that scene. It's brilliant. They were mad about that scene. I think I heard that. It wasn't intentional. It wasn't a product placement. It was. It was the opposite. I just love that line of, "This is the hottest thing on earth. All the kids are using this. I'm sure they are." Pretty much. I actually used to have a... 300 songs? This uh, person I used to know, he was like a diehard Zune user. Oh, and we'd always thing, give, huh? he would always give me shit for being an Apple fanboy. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, whatever. But the funniest thing is, as a Star-Lord fanboy now and cosplayer, I own a Zune now. <laughs> I own the exact model he has. And much oh, like... No. Well, much like my thing, I got music on my Zune because I bought it off of eBay because, you know, you can't buy one new. And I got music on mine, huh. except all the music was awful. There was like three doors down. They're not that bad. Uh, of course, I don't know anything about music, so don't listen to me. If I go crazy, then will you still call me Superman? I uh, love that song. <laughs> love that song. That's that's even like that's a hundred percent why the words just came out of my mouth. They're not that bad because if it's not related to comics, I don't I don't know anything about it in music. Off Don't top, know anything about it. Off topic, but related to the, that Three Doors Down conversation. Now, I saw them in concert like a couple of years ago. Yeah, they were opening. You're not a fan. They were. Well, I went to go see the opening act, and it was Seether, and I, I like fart rock. So that way befuddles me. People paying so much money. Oh, I went for free. So much money. Oh well, never mind. There you go. I've only been to, like six concerts in my life, and most of them they were like you know classical concerts I was dragged to when I was a little kid by my parents. I've been to literally one concert as a like post college, college post college adult. Right. And it was my favorite, my favorite current band. Well, when I went to this show, the lead singer. After every single song was over, he would say, thank you, God bless you, thank you, God bless you. Oh, no. Every single song. Was everybody sneezing? Well, (laughs) it's possible. (laughs) But at one point, he ended the song and didn't do it. And a guy behind me just goes, thank you, God bless you. He was the greatest comedian I've ever seen in my life. He was just an amazing one-joke set. It was fantastic. Yeah, gotcha, gotcha. So, yeah, it it was very, very interesting show. But 
Yeah, going you know going back to what the future of Guardians is. Yes, the future of Guardians. You know, future of Guardians of the Galaxy. Because you're going to be getting newer music too. And when I say newer, I mean it's going to be 19, I think 1980. They're go for the 90s? Well, they're going to go 80-something to or 2014. I heard. Really? Yeah. That seems like a strange choice. And I'm wondering, Should, shouldn't the smartest choice be to only include music from before the Zune was introduced? Wouldn't that be? Maybe. Well, I don't know. But not I mean, a music person, maybe there's something I'm not getting there. I mean, I guess after all, they could have found a Zune that was from 2010 that someone had been right. using, and then ended up in outer space. Well, it's from 2014. Right. Mm. Well, yeah. Weird. Whatever. Um, but what I like about you know what I like about the usage of the Zune is now we're going to have you know how these characters interact with certain stuff, and of course we're hearing you know suggestions from people of what they want to hear, you know because of the Zune. Some are good and some are the absolute living shits, and I'm not. <laughs> That's fi- going to be the problem. Nobody. Can, no, the the closer any art gets to like the present, the more recent any art gets, the more people are judgmental of it. You know, when 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 you're talking about like something that came out a whole generation ago, it's easy to pick out the good stuff and say, okay, there you go. This is a weird thing that humans do, where we rose-tint-colored glasses view the past. So when you, you, you people compare Bach to, to, to Lady Gaga, and they're like, Bach is obviously better than Lady Gaga. Well, it's, yes, but that's because you're choosing one artist from the entire 15th century. You don't, you don't care about the other people. There's basically like three artists from that anybody knows the name of from yeah. from the year 1400 to the year to the year 1900 and then you 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 know 40 names from maybe from between the year 1900 and the year 1950 and then you know 100 names from between 1950 and 1970 but there's all these current musicians now that are from you know what 1990 to the present year 2000 to the present whatever and it's unfair to be like this is worse than the past you're comparing the cream of the crop from 40 years ago to whatever you currently are listening to today. I don't know. That's why it seems like a really odd choice for me that they would muddle the water, so to speak. Because by going a whole generation back, one of the genius things about the first movie, and again, music is not my thing, but I, this is my understanding of it. They, 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 they could easily pick the cream of the crop of the music that everybody agrees is good. Nobody, nobody would argue that those are bad songs, right? Nobody thinks that that's... Maybe, maybe one or two songs in there aren't the favorite for some people. Yeah, but nobody would here. say that they chose a bad song. But if they start choosing... When he's including music pre... Excuse me, post-2000, including in the, th- including in the third film, seems to really open it up to a dangerous kind of blowback that people are going to be upset. that Oh, this is crap. This shouldn't be in there. Um, nobody would argue about the best of the best from 1970. But if you choose the best of the best from 2005, some people will just be like, no, that's just garbage. Well, I always... Like, I always find it funny that, you know, when they did the Guardians of the Galaxy Telltale, uh, Telltale Games mm, game recently. I haven't recently. played any of that. It's fun. It's supposed to be very good. And they actually started putting 80 songs in there. Like, the Buzzcocks are in there. Like, just, you know, different stuff. And I found it interesting because James Gunn himself has gone on to say, hey, um, I if you give me suggestions for these songs, like, he gets song suggestions every single day. Oh, wow, yeah. And, the re- you know, some, he recommend, was recommended, you know, Stuff from like 1980 something, and he goes, "Yeah, I'm not putting that in there because Guardians One and Two are supposed to be up to 1979." Interesting. And when I heard that, I'm like, "Really? Okay, I can see where you're coming from with that." And you know, like, well, that's interesting. Wait, I thought I would have thought it was. What's the flashback in the first movie? 1988. Mm-hmm. And that's. Uh, but I'm saying like. And she gives him the mix in 1988, but it's not current music. It's the music right, she it's, quote unquote grew up with. Yes. Right? Isn't that the way it's described? 
Which oh, it's very loose, I guess. But so he, James Gunn's arbitrary thinking about it, doing rough math, he figured 1979. Right. And I mean, I'm fine with that because... Her childhood. The, father, the mother's childhood goes up to 79. Yeah, because they... I don't know. I mean, some of the music that they put in there is fine, but... Sure. I mean, it's all... Like, like I'm not a music person. I read, I listen to it, and it's all just, I'm like, this all sounds good. I don't know whether some people have, like, negative opinions about some of it or not, but I get the impression nobody does. Everybody just talks about the soundtrack as being great. It's it's a solid film with the, you know, with the music choices. And I feel when you have the, you know, the music, and the music in a lot of ways also is a character. When you really think about it, it's an, it's, it's an extra character yeah, yeah. that, you know, is not there. So... Yeah, totally. It totally functions that way. Yeah, or if if nothing else, it's an interesting cultural layer that's interacting with the character. I mean, literally, in fact, because because it's all coming from the sound from from the um, from the cassette. It, literally, all the music in in the two films is either coming from Awesome Mix One, the cassette, Awesome Mix Two, the second cassette, or is playing is being played in the zoom that he's given at the end of the film. It's all diegetic. If you're familiar with that that term, that film yeah. world term. It's all from the fictional world. It's all it's all actually there. They can the characters can hear it too. Ah, that's so much fun. When someone explained that to me, because when the trailer came out, I was like, all right, they just chose this older song. What a bunch of assholes! They just kind of grabbed this good music from the past that has no relation to anything. And then the movie kind of feels '80s a little bit. I, don't know, I grew I grew up a little bit in the '80s. This movie isn't gonna capture the the '80s. Although I, I'm shocked to hear you say '79 because again, music in me. So I I thought it was all kind of very '80s, but it just sounded vaguely 80s to me whatever uh i have no sense of that stuff so brain and when someone explained to me brain 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 fart realign reconnect restart uh when someone explained to me that it's literally a cassette tape that he has and that's why all the music is of a certain era because he's 30 years old and it's literally cassette he's carrying around i was like that's abso-fucking-lutely brilliant yeah so now before we go what do you say? So, we also always have to get into our ranking of the films. But before we get into the ranking, as we as we were talking about before, where do you see Guardians Three going? Because James Gunn has also gone on to rec- on record saying that this lineup is not going to be the same after three. Right. This is going to be the last one with basically what I would think of when I think of it as the, it's the it's the two thousand five lineup like Rocket, Gamora, Drax, Star Lord, Star Prince. Star Munch. Star Munch. And uh, what? Who am I forgetting? Rocket? No, I said Rocket. Anyway, this team that everybody thinks of as the Guardians of the Galaxy, as the Guardians of the Galaxy, because these movies have been so successful, they're not the original Guardians. Yondu is in the original Guardians. So, uh, I mean, and who do, we, who do we get? At the end of the second film, we see... I tried to do a little research on this because, again, I didn't know the Guardians super well. But I definitely, I did a little That's research after after the success of the first film. I did some research, and I listened to um, friends who, like Patrick, who I've mentioned once or twice already, who's a writer-in-residence here at Carmine Street Comics. He, he knew a little bit more about Guardians than I did. He definitely knew that Yondu was from the old team, and I didn't know that. I only knew Rocket Star-Lord from the 2000s because I'd read uh, a bit of Annihilation and Annihilation Conquest, which are the two big events that Guardians kind of, the Guardians, the new 2000s Guardians team spin out of. So definitely now we know for a fact, I mean, it's kind of weird that he gave us this tease at the end of Guardians 2 where we get to see the original team 
And then the third movie is still going to be the newer team. It's still going to be Star-Lord, Gamora, and Drax. And I then a fourth so. film, if they do it, will be these older characters. That's so weird. So we've been teased Charlie 27, the Ving Rhames character. We've been te- more than teased Martin X, the, um, the Michael Rosenbaum character. And we've been more than teased Starhawk, the Sylvester Stallone character. And then I guess Which, by uh, the way, Mainframe, apparently voiced by Miley Cyrus. Yeah, Miley Cyrus. According to the intertubes. She is. And... That's crazy. When that was announced she was going to be in this, a lot of people actively complained. Like, how dare you put her in this, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, I'm not surprised. And it was literally just a, Again, I missed you guys so much. She's music. She, she just somebody. From, until when, when any piece of pop culture that has only been around for 10 years or less, people, people will be divided. People will be like, I like it. And other people will be all over it. And if it survives, if it, or, or bottom line, it just ages. Just ages. If Miley Cyrus was in her 30s, like us, and was making movies, excuse me, was making music in, like, the late 90s as a 20-something. Well, right. Hold on. I'm messing up with my math here, but whatever. Your math done did bad. Oh, never. Always. Never good. Math is terrible. Real bad. Um, if Miley Cyrus was older, is my point. If Miley Cyrus was making music in the 80s and the 90s when we were, like, babies, and then she was featured in this movie in some way, everybody would just unequivocally be like, oh, cool. Or even really be excited, yeah, but, but because like, she was making movies, making music in the late '90s and the early 2000s, it hasn't. Not enough time has passed, and everybody. Some people are going to be like, "Oh, well, that's crap." But, uh, you just wait long enough. Just wait long enough, and pop culture people calm down, and it's so silly. I'm sure her music is fine. I'm sure it's not like the most it's, amazing music, it's or it's not terrible, or it's, I'm yeah. sure it's fine. But now that stuff drives me crazy. Now here's the other thing, because we actually we glossed over him super fast. Stallone. We actually should quickly bring yeah, him up. Yeah, I mean, God, Sylvester Stallone's in this damn movie, and we didn't. I didn't mention him until this end. Yeah. And also, again, I can't believe we're also not really. And he's we, playing a character that, in the comics, I only just learned this last night from my research, is like a gender bending character because, in a way, anyway, uh, because Starhawk. He's going to be doing this. <laughs> that would be so weird. Um, Starhawk like swaps atoms with a female character. That's they like cool. replace each other. A character named Aletta, or at least at the beginning of the of the nineteen ninety run, the beginning of the Jim Valentino era. On Guardians, I'm not sure if that ended up sticking around. Oh no, but uh, yeah, definitely, it's also true during some of the uh, when when Starhawk and Vance Astro show up in the middle of the 2000s run. He's still a gender swapping character. And I feel you know so also because again, I really can't believe we glossed over this one. That Sylvester Stallone is in the goddamn movie. Yeah, well, not just that, man. Very Sylvester Stallone. We glossed over Yondu. We kind of did. And I guess you're right. We kind of did. I mean, the father... Yeah, I know you... Well, I definitely brought him up in talking about the the really, really smart character development thing Gunn did with Rocket and Yandu being related to each other. And then he's kind of a cor- corral- corollary element, to throw out some real jargon there, <laughs> of the ego stuff and the fact that it's a broken home story because Yandu is sort of the the Maybe. real father figure who's there... Who would have eaten who he didn't appreciate. He would have eaten him. Yeah. Well, he kept saying he was going to eat him, but he was uh, obviously the second movie recontextualizes that from the first. He he was never going to eat him. You never know. Give him time. <laughs> well, not now because he's dead. But right. I digress. And I feel the character development of him what, he, in the first one, he was just an afterthought, really. Like he was just like a big bad, and he was he wasn't a big bad. But you get my point. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then in this one, completely different. Fleshed out. He's Tremendous. actually important. Yeah. And like I said, you know, the whole like I'm a, kind of a beautiful character. And it yeah, and he he evolved. And you know, you again with the utilization of the music, 
you give him the most memorable scene as well with come a little bit closer that one that's crazy you know that's like the big is that played over the big moment at the end that was with the uh, the arrow the flying arrow mm. the whistling arrow which I just learned again from my research last night that in the comics he uses a bow and arrow yes which is kind of actually done because he's kind of I think what they were going for what 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 Arnold Drake who was the original scriptwriter Roy Thomas and Stan Lee were kind of co-editing I think it was like Stan was doing approval Roy Thomas was officially the editor Arnold Drake was the writer and the amazing great late Gene Colan was the artist of the first Guardian stuff so what I think what Arnold Drake was going for was a Native American allegory which is why he has a bow and arrow and why he used an arrow and that survived all the way to the movies even though Yondu has been completely changed from the way he was because Yondu is the only survivor of Alpha, Alpha Centauri in the original version he's the only character who's not from our solar system yeah he's He's from this planet that humans colonized in the Alpha Centauri system. And he's the only survivor. He's a, he's a native indigenous race to a planet that humans find and colonize in, yeah. the, in, the, in the 30th century. Holy fish. And then they give him a bow and arrow. That's like a little tough, and it's also kind of awesome in the same way. Like, it's, it's, it's very thin, and it's almost racist, but then it works because it ends, he, he's, he, he's grown into such a great character. Even by 1975, he'd been turned into a pretty badass character. And the fact that the arrow, it, apparently it's made with this particular mineral that's only on that planet that makes it sensitive to sound, which is why whistling or screaming or making noise can affect the way it moves. Yeah. I love that. I wish that was in the movie somewhere. That's something that it seems to me like so often they, they kind of pick and choose. They have to pick and choose from tons of comics when they make these kind of movies that are adapted from you know, a 40-year-old content like Guardians. That seems like something that would have added a real bit of verisimilitude because I actually kind of buy that. Certain minerals and materials in the real world react to different stimuli in ways that you wouldn't expect sometimes. The idea that a certain metal might vibrate under a certain frequency in a weird way that could then be super sensitive and end up bloody flying it doesn't seem so crazily science fiction. I'm surprised they didn't want to harp on that if they were going to use the arrow. I'm surprised they didn't say over and over again, uh, audio uh, uh, affected uh, mineral from Alpha Centauri that would have made it feel a little bit more real, right? Yeah. So weird. One of the most also notable things about this movie is the use of the number of post-credits, or mid-credit scenes and post-credit scenes. Yeah, goodness. There this was five of them or something. Right? This was like a record breaker. And, you know, one of the, the post-credit scene incorporated Stan Lee for his... Oh, that scene. So happy. Wait, that one, it was partial fan service, which I'm totally fine with. And apparently, <laughs> if I remember correctly, I will give a retraction on the next episode if I'm incorrect, but I believe he mentions in the script version, he mentions that he was working as a strip club DJ. Gotcha, gotcha. And it's referencing, you know, okay. the Fox mm-hmm. universe... Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And because he says, he says, let me tell you about the time I was a postal worker. Yeah, and that's which, referencing which, Civil War. But you could also believe Sorry, that Civil War. Wow. Civil War. Wow, wow. Captain America. I don't need no Civil War. Wow. Not Civil War Two. Not Civil War One. I'm talking about Captain America Civil War. Civil War. Talking those Guns and Roses. America Civil War Blues. Maybe. Maybe. World War Three Blues. Just maybe. That's a Bob Dylan song. Subterranean something blues. Homesick. Thing? I don't know. But anyway, the Stan Lee cameo, the, you know, Stanley Manley. It ties everything together. And it, it you was. You believe that every single Stanley cameo dating back to 1982 now 
What was his 1982 cameo? Was it a uh, Trial of the Incredible Hulk? Thank you oh, very yeah. much. Pulling out the nerd card real hard. You are. Real hard. There was a, there was a, 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 a after that, very successful Hulk TV series was canceled, which I, I bet a lot of people don't even remember or know about. Um, the, uh, the really, really weird one where they changed um, Bruce Banner's name because they thought Bruce sounded gay. Go for it. <laughs> So they, they changed the name of the, uh, the main character, but it lasted three or four seasons. It was really popular. It was maybe the first serious television adaptation from comics uh, ever. And when it was canceled, they did a trilogy of small budget, super, super small budget. With TV Thor movies. and yes. Daredevil? Thor and Daredevil. I kind of like that movie a lot. If nothing else, there's this fantastic scene where, um, weirdly, they don't swap. Um, by which I mean they don't, they don't swap like their molecules because in the comics, Thor, if he touches the hammer to the ground, turns back into Dr. Donald Blake. And if Dr. Donald Blake taps his walking stick on the ground three times or something, he turns into Thor. But in the, in the movie in 1982, in this, this trial of the Incredible Hulk, it, it's, it's different. He, uh, he taps the walking stick and then it turns into the hammer, but then Thor appears. And then he has to sort of be his chaperone through the modern world. Anyway, I could go on, but it's really fun. There's, if nothing else, a scene where they all go to a biker bar because he's like, you know what? I think I finally understand the one place you're going to feel at home. And then Thor is like, yes, my people. It's. I'll check that out because I always. I believe Stan is on the jury. I know at the trial. I know also uh, Jack Kirby in one is the stenographer. Yes, yeah, that's his only cameo. That's the only cameo he's made in anything. Stan's been cameoing in. Over and over and over and over and over again, from his voice to his likeness, he's been animated into things. And the only thing is Jack Kirby. Somebody pointed this out online. I I didn't point this out myself. I didn't think of this, but it, it is it is so brilliant and so sad and so true that in all of these Stan Lee cameos, he gets to talk and do whatever he wants, and he's he's a focus. And the only Jack Kirby cameo, nobody's paying attention to him. He's in the background. He's drawing. He's drawing what people are telling him to draw, and he doesn't say a word. Yeah. It's like emblematic of the way people think of as Jack of Jack Kirby when he was really in many ways the creative force more than more than Stanley. Oh yeah. They they were very equal in some ways, but my god, there was also some there was so much work that Kirby wasn't really probably credited for that he was doing. I mean, just everything visual, if nothing, but but more than just the visuals, he really defined the personality and the the scale and the epicness that that Lee couldn't pull off. Lee has a great sense of like really fun play from playing with words, but Kirby really made those characters epic. He made them crackle. Yeah, big time. So now before we go with this episode, let's go with our overall thoughts on the film. Since you're the guest, I want you to go first. What did you think of this movie overall? I, I, I love Guardians Volume 2. I loved it to death. I thought it was better than the first. And that's apparently a really controversial topic now. In yeah, the most Marvel people don't, movie. I think. Most people don't, right? Right? They, is that what you're seeing? They, li- they like it, but they're like, it's not as good as the first one, but it's good. Yeah. It's, you know, it, some people were saying this was one of the ones that broke the sequel curse of a non-Captain America movie. And I hear that. Like, it's not terrible, you mean? Right. It's like the first time a sequel oh, that I wasn't a Cap. better. And funny enough, I think I prefer Cap 1 to Cap 2. But, really? But I've only seen Cap 2 once. I need to watch it again. Cap- I, may, I may very well come out of it after seeing it a couple more times and say, eh, I think I will have more fun and I would rather rewatch Captain America First Avenger over and over again, but that I can't argue that Captain America Winter Soldier isn't like a better movie. You know what I mean? Yeah. Favorite movie, better movie, watchability, these are different kind of things, really. Well, now going towards my overall thoughts on the movie, I think we've heard now so far my uh, close personal opinion of the movie, but I feel overall this was a movie where the dynamic between the characters was incredibly strong. You have just a... 
many jokes that land. It's very hard for movies like this where the jokes all consistently land. Mm-hmm. But this one, one after one another. Even like the improvs, you know, where like and you still care about the characters because that's my problem to a degree with Thor Ragnarok is it was very funny, but I didn't care. Yeah, I didn't care at all about what was going on. I really didn't. And like with this movie, you know, like like I said, the level of humor, you know, always landing. Even like the little improvs, like Kraglin, you know, singing along to Silver's that one song by them, but while the ships are going, and he's singing and goes soup soup, <laughs> like it's just like the little improvs like that. Like, yeah. wh- where where does that come from? But you know. It works, and I, I got the feeling that a good amount of the film might have been ad libbed, and that's fine. But it might be because I had just watched. Um, my girlfriend Chrissy has been telling me forever that I need to see Bridesmaids. Right. She's Chrissy loves film, as I mentioned earlier. She's a comedy writer. She's really sharp. She's really witty. She loves good humor, but she also loves a character, a movie where you care about the characters. So that's part of why we we both really enjoyed Guardians. And so I finally watched Brides, Bridesmaids with her just a few nights ago. And holy crap, that movie is like 75% ad-libbed or something. I was asking her if, if my opinion was accurate because she literally has done improv and literally does comedy writing. And she said, oh, yeah, I think so. It's got to be at least half of this thing was ad-libbed. So then maybe because I, watched, I literally watched Bridesmaids two nights ago and then rewatched Guardians 2 last night. But I thought to myself, oh, man, a lot of this feels like it was ad-libbed too. This feels really organic, doesn't it? These lines don't make sense, but they're wonderful. And the comic timing, god damn. Yeah. Great movie. And I feel like it... It was a movie that knocked it out of the park, and you yeah. got that emotional connection with the characters. And like I said, you know, in my situation, I definitely connected. And it was a movie where I left uncomfortable, And it, but it was a sign of a good movie is you think about it afterwards. You yeah. mull it over in your head. I hear that. And, you know, when I saw it again, you know, like I saw it twice in theaters— liked it more the second time and then you know when the, it came out on the, in the summer on DVD and Blu-ray I was like oh cool I'll watch it again kept falling in love with it with the road to infinity war I started watching it again I'm like wow I really am connecting with this movie this is fantastic Yeah. and I will say you know I'm going to go through my ranking and I want you to go first as well so that's going to be tough what, I'm not going to remember them all that's perfectly fine what I want you to do is your top three okay okay and it's going to be Top three up to this point, and then top three up to now. You know what I mean? So like up to this movie, oh, and then top in the in the in what you're working on. I follow. Yes, yes, yeah. For the for the podcast. So up to this movie, what what were your top three? And this is top three in like for my favorites, or for which I think are like artistically best, or do you want both? Either, yeah. Like both Um, both work. I think it might be my. Second favorite. And what are one and three? I think favorite is Captain America, the first Avenger. I find it super watchable, and I think it has a lot of things to say, and it's just plain wonderful. And um, then Guardians 2 is number two. And then I think Spider-Man Homecoming might just slide in at number three because I always loved Spider-Man. And then Guardians 1 is like the fourth. Now, for myself, it's kind of changed with the, like I said, the Road to Infinity War changing the order of things. As, like, up to Black Panther, Spider-Man Homecoming was my number one. Yeah? Really? And for a while, this was ranked below Guardians 1. But because of Road to Infinity War and rewatching movies and giving things second chances, second, third, fourth, even fifth chances, I'm going to read them from 14 onward. All right, so my rankings overall for these movies, 14, Thor, The Dark World, 13, Iron Man 3, 
12, The Incredible Hulk. 11, Iron Man 2. 10, Captain America, The First Avenger. 9, Avengers Age of Ultron. 8, Avengers. 7, Thor. 6, Iron Man. 5, Captain America. Number 4, Doctor Strange. Number 3, Captain America, The Winter Soldier. And tied for number 2 right now. Ant-Man and Guardians of the Galaxy. I still have not seen Ant-Man. It's really good. It's got that uh, Edgar Wright style humor. It's on the list. And oh no, I'm hearing about the list. I mean, Ed- I've got a very long list of movies I need to see. Eddie's got the list too, but his is a comic search list. And finally, number Man, I've one. Read lots of comics in my life. Not enough movies. Not seen enough movies. For me, number one, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Two. And right, as of right now, Damn. I don't think that's going to be changing. Yeah. You're so, so you already gave your ranking. So before we go, how can people get a hold of you on social media? Aha. So let me see. I, as a, as a, as a writer, editor, commenter, are totally available on almost any social media platform you can think of at John Gorga, uh, J-O-N. And Gorga is a fantastically crazy Italian name spelled G-O-R-G-A. I'm everywhere from LinkedIn to Plaxo and Bebo and all sorts of things. And Vimo. don't even know about. Or Vero. Uh, Vero, yeah. yeah. Man, no one uses that thing. Yeah, yeah, it's only been out for a couple of weeks and people pretty much dropped it already. I'll probably check back in someday if it's still alive in a month if I have time. Um, <laughs> and Facebook and Twitter and everything. I'm very active on Twitter. And I both write and edit comics. Not so much writing for a long time now. I'm doing a good amount of editing while also running this tiny comic book store into the ground. Um, and Carmine Street Comics can be uh, looked up multiple different ways. You know, you can come and visit us here if you're in, if you're a New York City local or you're traveling through Manhattan. We are in the West Village. What's the street again? 34 Carmine Street. Very cool. That's our spot. Chris, who you heard a bit from earlier, Chris Pirate, is put, doing a mu- new mural on the side of the building here at 34 Carmine for us. And we're also on a, a, a quite a few of the various social medias, uh, Twitter and uh, Tumblr and um, Facebook, uh, LinkedIn, just for the heck of it. Uh, very, We're doing very well on Instagram actually better than i would have expected lots of followers there people are enjoying seeing bits of comics bits of art being done here because we aren't just a comic book store we have an open to the public drawing space in the front that anybody can reserve it's basically open to the public completely open to the public and uh free to reserve and if anybody sells some of their own work while sitting there we uh we don't take a cut uh we do not take a cut of any work that someone has made themselves while they're sitting at our signing table or in the studio space. We only take a, a cut if somebody leaves behind work. I think that's about, that's about the full gamut of it. So now before we go, let me get through the social media rigmarole of the Marvelous. Marvelous. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash the Marvelous. You can find myself on the Twitter at Peter Melnick, Eddie at EWilson959, and collectively you can find us on Twitter at the Marvelist. You can find us on Instagram at The Marvelist. It's pretty, it's pretty uh, self-explanatory, standard, isn't it? Yeah. And we, try to, we try to keep it that way as well. It is, all, it is almost all Carmine ST comics, I should okay. have said. Whichever works. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, you can also find us on Instagram at The Marvelist. I think I went with that, didn't I? Well, so nice I said it twice. And Good. you can also find us in your email bag. Drop us an email. Questions, comments, strongly worded letters, like I said. Pictures of birds, lots of birds. <laughs> the marvelous picture at, of a bird might have been helpful today. It could have been. We could have held it up and tried to encourage the bird to leave. Yeah, we don't by like, looking at no, one of its brethren. No birds in this store. Not anymore. I hope. Fingers we crossed. We still don't know because your producer saw four go in and three come out. So 
Yeah. But yeah, you can uh, rate, review, subscribe, and share on iTunes. And also, like I said, that email bag, themarvelists at gmail.com. And finally, go on Stitcher Radio, available for all iOS and Android devices. The oh, yeah. Platform. And we're also on SoundCloud, so cool. SoundCloud app. But Stitcher Radio, if you want to get a Stitcher Radio premium membership, stitcher.com slash premium. And use the promo code something, at checkout. Something new for me to try. You should. I think I'd only vaguely heard of Stitcher. It's it's a pretty good podcasting platform and radio cool. platform. Cool. And it's worth it. I'm enjoying it, like I said. And when you use it, you get a free one-month trial. And you can listen to Wolverine the Long Night. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Pretty rad, yeah, right? Pretty cool. And you can listen man, to Marvelous. Stories, more important. That's all. I'm all about stories. And the Marvelous. And I'm all about the Marvelous. Damn right. So, for Peter Melnick, I'm Peter Melnick. I guess for John Gorga... I'm John Gorga. And for Eddie Wilson, who is currently not here, he gladly brings to us Excelsior. Cool. He is called Starhawk, enigmatic mutant from the planet Arcturus. He wields the power of light and shares his physical being with the woman Alita. But he shares the secret of being one who knows with no one. Charlie 27, fifth generation militiaman and last survivor of Earth's Jupiter colony, genetically engineered to withstand 11 times the gravity of Earth with the strength and mass that goes with it. He is the Guardian's pilot and military strategist. Nikki, last child of Earth's Mercury colony, the agility of her limbs is exceeded only by the unerring skill of her marksmanship and the sting of her sarcasm. She is the Guardian's navigator and technical weapons expert. Martinex, silicon-celled master of thermal energy, sole survivor of Earth's colony on Pluto. He can emit blasts of searing heat from his right hand or numbing cold from his left. He is the Guardian's resident scientist and, of late, their reluctant leader. Yondu, last son of Earth's only extrastellar colony, Centauri IV, primitive mystic and ancient weapons master. His weapon of choice, the whistle-responsive Yaka Arrow. Major Vance Astro, first Earthman to the stars, last survivor of the 20th century. His body forever sheathed in the silver and black metal suit that preserves his life. He is the master of the mutant power of psychokinesis. 